The defending Stanley Cup champions are relying on their core and some young pieces to continue their NHL dominance. The Tampa Bay Lightning, meantime, have been a mighty force for some time thanks to stellar veteran talent, but similar to their division rivals from Toronto, they'll need their young talent as the salary cap continues to be their enemy. Episode 220 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Our prospect series continues with St. Louis, Tampa Bay, and Toronto, Brett. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. But uh, before we start, we should mention the latest in getting hockey back um, oh, yeah. pretty soon. Uh, they uh, they announced the NHLPA, and I guess the NHL also um, had a they had a different um, they had a proposal uh, for a twenty four team playoff. Um, so that means that teams like the Montreal Canadiens, the New York Rangers, the Chicago Blackhawks, I think there's a couple of other teams that would make it uh, that wouldn't otherwise if it wasn't for this format. Um, so they make it, and then I guess teams like the Bruins, the Lightning, um, I believe the Capitals, or you know all the, the all the best teams get a bye, and then um, and then I guess other teams just try to duke it out um, in the first round. So that's how it would work. Uh, obviously, we'll. Um, if once things get more official, I think we'll even devote a podcast episode to this. Um, but yeah, I don't know exactly how it's going to work. Um, but it is definitely exciting. The other thing, um, is that it's going to be out in August. Um, and then I guess they're going to start the next season in December. It would go from August to October the whole playoffs, so um, it makes sense to delay the next season over when you think about it, but um, that's looking like what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's interesting on a lot of fronts, Brett, and to clarify on the timeline, this is just what I told Brett, uh, what I heard on the yep. evening news uh, last night here in Canada, what I heard was August to October is when the playoffs would happen, December 2020 is when the next season would start, and uh Originally in mid-March, when this whole thing was underway, Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, as everyone knows, um, expected and hoped for a normal 2020-21 NHL season. It appears he's given that theory up. The theory of a normal season is dead for next year. That being said, um, I'm it, the NHL and the NBA are nowhere close to giving up hope on finishing the season which is interesting but with the ahl and uh the chl canceling their regular season the playoffs and most other leagues electing to do the same i'm i'm, I'm just thinking more and more is it worth it because like one of the cities they're looking into is toronto um here in ottawa i think it was um monday may 25th that was the latest uh pool of uh, new cases for COVID-19 and I don't think Ottawa even hit 10 new cases all of Ontario had 400 plus new cases for a fifth straight day and most of that damage is apparently in the GTA the greater Toronto area so I I just don't know given how inconsistent uh, 
COVID has been like where the strong points of the virus is, where the weak points of the virus is around the world. I, I just don't know if there are too many markets that can A, fit the NHL's needs, and B, are safe to play hockey in even without fans. So there's a lot that could happen, and one positive test could derail this whole thing. So like you said, Brett, um, lots can still happen before they even drop the puck on a game. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the other thing to think about, like on one hand, I'm glad that hockey is back. Um, but on the other, like, or at least coming to form to be back, especially as a Bruins fan, because I think the Bruins have the best chance and, you know, the window is certainly closing um, on this particular team. But um, so I'm excited that that this could be a possibility but on the other hand, I'm just thinking about the whole uh, purpose of delaying everything in this world is because you don't want to spread um, spread this virus out. And so if you're going to, the idea of just the logistics of adding another, a couple more teams to it, to the mix, uh, just adds the risk to at least a player getting, getting this disease and spreading it. Uh, to to every teammate and stuff and uh, to spreading it to more people and that's um, so that just makes me like wary of how how are they gonna make sure that all their players and everyone who's involved with it the referees the I guess the announcers too maybe um, will will be safe and how are they going to regulate everything and that's that would just be my bigger concern is as much as I want hockey back, I just want to make sure it's safe. Yeah. Um, anyways, we're going to start our prospect talk with uh, the St. Louis Blues. Speaking of the playoffs, because they yeah. won last year, unfortunately for my team. But yeah, still the champs. They are still the champs, yes. Um, that is also the other thing, too. I guess we'll talk more about this when becomes more official but I have a feeling that like people like fans from other teams like whoever wins this thing I have a feeling like fans will just like feel like we'll call this the winner like a rigged or like yeah they, they'll, they'll put yeah. a big fat asterisk beside their championship and right. just like yeah COVID though right but like when you think about it it doesn't really makes sense considering that most of these teams have already played 70 games it's not yeah. like it's not like they just went to play this playoffs you know so yeah um but yeah i'm sure um it's not like i guess do pe people don't really give the blackhawks grief for winning the cup in the lockout shortened season <laughs> yeah that's anyways. true that's so true, yeah. um so I, i'll count it um especially if the bruins win if the Bruins lose, then I won't count it. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to go with the St. Louis Blues here. Um, so we're going to start off with uh, Jordan Cairo. Um, he's our first prospect we're going to talk about. Uh, he's, he's a, I mean, we've talked about a couple of these kind of players before where, uh, first off, he's a bit of a, he was a bit of a late bloomer. In the draft-wise, uh, he was the second-round pick in 2016, um, but I think he really took off 
uh, the following year for the Sarnia Sting, where he had um, 109 points in 56 games, and then he had a crazy World Juniors uh, for Team Canada, where he had 10 points in seven games, um, and uh, yeah, which was which was a lot better than what he played for the year before that, where he had 94 points in 66 games for the Sarnia Sting. Um, but yeah, so he was really impressive in 2017-2018 for the Sarnia. Uh, then he goes to the AHL, and he's still pretty impressive. Uh, he has 43 points in 47 games for the San Antonio Rampage. He plays a little bit in St. Louis, um, where he has... Three points in 16 games in 2018-19 season. Uh, then he gets... Um, then this year, uh, we see that he played 15... He had 15 points in 16 games for San Antonio Rampage. Um, but he also played in uh, St. Louis uh, for 28 games, where he had nine points. Um it's kind of a interesting thing that he's kind of expelled in the OHL. He's excelled in the AHL, which makes you wonder. It's like, but he hasn't exactly excelled yet in um, in the uh, the NHL. So that's that's to that should be coming pretty soon you would you would think uh he he i guess there is one thing to note and i was just looking this up quickly uh, but jordan Cairo he had so this in 28 games he had 10 minutes of ice time um and the, it is his rookie year for st louis where he played 16 games um he had nine minutes of ice time so still nine points in 28 games with 10 minutes of ice time. That's pretty good. Um, so, and he's also only 22 years old. I'd imagine he'll be better eventually. Um, okay, uh, first off, I just realized I didn't talk about the cap friendly page for the Blues, but uh, so first off, you, you talk about what you have on Jordan Cairo, and then I'll do the Blues cap friendly page. Yeah, so I, I will talk actually about the Cap Friendly page, specifically where the Blues stand on right wing, because they do have a lot of depth on the right side. Uh, first of all, they have this guy named Vladimir Tarasenko. A lot of you probably have heard of him by now. Uh, very good shot, very good player, scores a lot of goals. However, injury history, not on his side recently. And people were thinking when he went down with that uh, shoulder injury, I think it was earlier in the year, Oh, how are they going to do without Tarasenko? Well, thankfully, David Perron has emerged as a top six threat in recent years, particularly with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, during their inaugural season. And he did show glimpses of promise of being that top six forward in St. Louis, in Edmonton, and other markets too. Uh, but really, over the past couple of years, has emerged as a consistent top six threat. So he's been a nice uh, complimentary piece to Tarasenko. Uh, below that, you also have Alex Steen, who's been in the league for a couple of years. Ivan Barbashev, who's kind of a spark plug on that fourth line. So they do have some decent left wing depth. And I think that partially contributes to why the opportunities haven't been there for Kairou consistently to play top six minutes. Although 
the good news is they have trusted him enough to play with some of the top six talent, and I will get to that uh, in a sec. But more on Jordan Cairo and uh, what he brought in the OHL. His draft year, 2015-16, he had 51 points in 65 games with the Sarnia staying, 170 shots, pretty reasonable. Sarnia had a lot of depth that year, and part of the reason why Cairo wasn't a threat on the power play. He only had six power play points all season that year. Two words, Travis Konechny, because that was the year Sarnia acquired Konechny from the 67s. They were going all in. They were geared up for this playoff run, a playoff run that only lasted, I think, one or two rounds. Um, but Jordan Kairou was a part of a solid group of players that could produce offensively. So there was a lot of puck sharing going on in Sarnia. Uh, they had uh, Nikita Korostolev and Anthony Selenitri developing. They also had a young Pavel Zaka. He had uh, 64 points in just 51 games as a second-year player. Um, but he was still a uh, Kyrou was still a top-four player on the team in a lot of offensive categories. Uh, but Konechny was the straw that stirred the drink. So he, that's part of the reason why you didn't see him take that next step. And then when Konechny left for the pros, and when Shikrin left for the pros, and when Pavel Zaka left for the pros you slowly started to see Jordan Cairo mold into the offensive star um, that we saw in his final two years with the Sting. And in 2016-17, uh, he had 30 goals, 64 assists for 94 points. Uh, he had 33 power play points that season, 24 power play assists, um, averaged 3.38 shots per game, a much better season offensively. And... Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Sarnia Sting, um, actually, no, they didn't win a playoff series that year. It was 2018 where they did. But he really played um, good in the handful of playoff games that Sarnia took part in. They they had a tough draw that year. I think they were like 7th or 8th in the West. And he was, um, he was holding the Ford for most of it and uh, got them in the playoffs. And then 2017-18, as you mentioned, Brett, 109 points in 56 games, a 70-assist season, one goal shy of 40, a huge power play threat. This time, I believe he had 42 power play points. 14 of those were goals. And uh, that year, Sarnia did win a playoff round and um, got some playoff success there. Um, and I believe he was a top three. Yeah, he was a top three scorer in the OHL in points. He was 10th in goal scoring as well and was also tied for the league league in, in assists with Morgan Frost. Um, so when his skills um, really took off in 2017-18, um, the Blues were kind of, they, they were kind of in a rough place. Like they were on the cusp of being a consistent force, but it just wasn't showing in the standings. And uh, that off season, they made a lot of changes. And um, he, he did see a bit of time, like you said, in 2018-19. Uh, didn't really produce that much, but uh, just taking a look at his quarter-by-quarter quarter stats, um, mo most of that time that he played in the first quarter, he, he, was, he was playing with top six uh, talent. He was on a line with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. Um, he also played on a line with... Alexander Steen and Tyler Bozak in the first quarter of his rookie year um, and continued to spend more time uh, with guys like Braden Shen and David Braun 
he gets on the line with Ryan O'Reilly for a bit as well. Um, and so he was he was playing up and down the lineup uh, basically in his rookie year, and that and that sort of continued uh, in year two. Continued to spend more time with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. Um, still on uh, a line with Ryan O'Reilly as well. And what's interesting about Kairou is, yeah, he's offensively talented, but his two-way game is pretty good too. And that's something that's uh, gotten Ryan O'Reilly a lot of praise in the past, especially last year. I think he won the Selkie Trophy um, as being one of the league's best two-way players. So um, the fact that you can put up points but also play a two-way game is, is also something uh, that's got to be recognized. And I think his AHL numbers would have been a lot better had the sample size been much larger. He was close to a point per game in 2018-19. He didn't really pad his stats um, in the AHL this year, but that's partly because he only played 16 games. And in those 16 games, he had nine goals, 15 points, and five of his nine goals were on the power play. so I definitely think the upside is there for Kairou to be a top six threat someday. And as the core members uh, slowly die off, um, like, Alexa- uh, like Alexander Steen, um, when his contract's up, um, I can definitely see Kairou a consistent member of that third line like he is right now with uh, Robert Thomas and Zach Sanford. Um Maybe someday a first or second line player. It all depends on how injuries treat Tarasenko. It all depends on how many prime years David Braun has left because he's been in the league for quite a bit. Uh, but I definitely see the upside in Kairou's game, and he will get a chance to showcase it with the Blues. I guarantee it. It's just a matter of if it's going to be three years or four years or five years. Yeah, I mean, I actually, well, first off, I'll say um i'll do the blues cap friendly stuff um so it, it's not not looking too bad i think partly because uh the blues did make some moves during this this break where they uh they signed a couple of guys before um before they should uh yeah, but none, none were Petrangelo, though. right 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 i would i was about to get to that but uh, none were pitcher Angelo, but there were a couple of guys that they signed uh, quickly just before, um, so that they don't. I guess they don't have to worry about it in the off season. Was probably their thinking, considering it's going to be uh, slow or it's going to be a short off season. But, um, anyways, uh, the UFAs are pitcher Angelo, Troy Brower. And Vince uh, are both UFAs, and then the RFAs are Vince Dunn and Jacob Della Rose. Uh, what's gonna be what's kind of notable though is, of course, Petrangelo. So they'll have to figure out how they're gonna replace him. Um, I guess Colton Pareko would be the the best person for that. Uh, Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen are both UFAs in two years, uh, which could be interesting or uh, something that. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll have to figure out, especially since Jake Allen actually looked pretty good this year and kind of played Jordan Bennington this year, which is interesting. Um, and then the other thing when you just mentioned that you could see Jordan Cairo be, uh, 
be a, pl- a legitimate core player for the Blues in a couple years. The thing is, is that he he's going to be an RFA in 2021-22, um, or that season, uh, which coincidentally is also the year that Robert Thomas is an RFA, uh, Zach Sanford and Ivan Barbashev are also RFAs that year. So that's going to be a big year for their young core um, of players like that that are still in the league right now. But So I'd imagine we'll see more of Jordan Cairo next year just because it's going to be his last year on this contract uh, for cheap. Um, I mean, I guess it would still be pretty cheap too. But um, So I imagine we'll see him some more next year. But um, it seems like he might be just too good in the for the AHL, but since there's not a ton of room for him in the NHL to be a top six player, he's kind of just in free fall um, for for the time being. So it it could be interesting to see how they how they um, manage him um, in in terms of yeah, time. I- it, it, it's one of those positions where for Jordan Kyrie, you can't lose. Um, yeah. If you're not learning your tricks of the trade in the NHL, you will get a lot of chances to excel in the AHL. And um, I, I think he would have excelled in the AHL had he played a full season. He would have been a top 10 scorer for sure, in my opinion. Um, but, but yeah, the, the Blues are riding their veteran talent right now. And if some point they're going to need their core pieces of the future and i definitely think the two guys that stick out to me for their forwards are jordan kairu and robert thomas yeah for sure uh same same with me um although barbashev and uh sanford have shown flashes at times too so they could be interesting and sammy players too. sammy, and sammy blaze is another one too well. yeah. yeah blaze is another one um, so now we go to Scott Perunovic. Um, yeah, I'll talk about Pietrangelo afterwards. But uh, Perunovic is also another late bloomer type uh, that the Blues got in the second round. I was also reading here that uh, he went undrafted twice before the Blues picked him. Uh, so that's, that's also kind of interesting. Um, but anyways... Uh, for so he was yeah so he was drafted in the 2018 draft uh, where he um, so the year before that he played for the University of Minnesota Duluth where he had six, uh, 36 points in 42 games uh, for for Minnesota Duluth in his freshman year which is pretty good <laughs> um, if I would say so. Um, and then, uh, and then he played in the World Juniors for Team USA, uh, where he had three points in seven games. Um, and then the next year, his sophomore year, he had twenty nine points in thirty nine games. And then this year, he had forty points in thirty four games. I believe. I don't think. Did he win the Hobie Baker? I think he won the Hobie Baker, actually. I'm pretty sure at the very least he was a finalist. And yeah, in his yeah. rookie season, he was also named Rookie of the Year, too. Yeah, that's also a good point thing to, to mention. Um, I'll, I'll, okay, um, I'll look this up after when you talk. But, um, or maybe you'll say it, I don't know. <laughs> um but, yeah, this is interesting, though, because he's improved every year. 
Um, I guess the, the, the slight on him and I guess the reason why he wasn't passed up is, well, first off, he didn't have great numbers uh, the years before uh, where he had 21 points in 56 games um, in the USHL for Cedar Rapids. Um, and I think it's also his height. It was a concern as well, considering um, they keep on mentioning all these scouting reports. Keep on mentioning how undersized he is. Um, yeah, so um, I do have his uh, height and weight here. He's yeah. five foot nine, one hundred and seventy-two pounds. Okay, that's interesting because the lead prospects has him as five ten. Um, but they do have him as 174 pounds. I, I go by uh, what uh, the NHL.com profile has. Okay. And it says five foot nine, weighs 172. Okay. Well, either way, uh, it's pretty. It's short for uh, for a uh, NHL player. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- that was a that was a reason why I, I guess he fell um, was also why. Um, but you know, I kept on reading that. He, um, he's just like, according to Doug Armstrong, who's the D, the GM here, um, until you play in the NHL when you're that size, it's like a goalie. No, nobody ever knows. He has the ability to move the puck in all different situations. He's a creative player who makes everybody around him better. And for a smaller guy, he's actually physical. So that that just shows how much he believes in this guy, even if he is shorter than than the average player. Um, the thing that's interesting, though, is that so Alex Petrangelo, it looks like all signs are pointing that Petrangelo is probably gone this year. Um, just considering that they did sign Justin Folk uh, last year. Um, and, to a, a long-term contract. They also have Colton Pareko in the mix. Um, and Vince Dunn is another one that could be interesting too. But um, They also committed four years to Marco freaking Scandella. Yeah, that's another one too. Um, but the thing is, is that I think there is definitely, and they also signed Perunovic also um, in this time period too. Um so, so that's another one t- to look out for. Um, the thing, though, is is that... So I think someone would have to take Petrangelo's p- place. Um, I would lean more towards Colton Pareko. Um, however, the only thing with, against Pareko is, is he hasn't been, like, that offensive for a while. Like, he can... He's more of an all-around player. Um, so I wonder if there is room for Perunovic to take over from Petrangelo. I also starting to realize that the Blues love defensemen with the last name that starts with P. Um, but but uh, so it makes it harder to talk about it in this particular sense, just because I'm like Pareko, Petrangelo, Perunovic. But um, yeah, so I think there is a chance for Perunovic to uh to be involved as soon as next year but again i because he is undersized and there is that issue i do want to wonder if they'll just put him into the san antonio first to start and maybe see what happens when you when when they put him in 
Yeah, so um, a couple of things. Uh, first off, in the Petrangelo situation, if they re-sign him, Pareko is almost certainly getting traded. Um, I Because after you trade for Justin Falk and then give him an extension right away, that's for like yeah. six or seven years, um, you're going to have to bite the bullet somehow. And I think Pareko is probably the easiest um, target that would get you value and also, also uh, has a big cap hit. So... He would probably be the guy that bites the dust if they keep Petrangelo or they just let Petrangelo walk, which I maintain will be a very great mistake for Doug Armstrong. But that's a conversation for another episode. The The thing I do like about Karunovic is he is a left-handed defenseman, which is the Blues' weakest side. Um, it's the opposite of Tampa Bay and Toronto that are really good on the left side but not so good on the right side. Um Perunovic is joining a group of left-handed defensemen that, at the moment, in terms of pure left-handed defensemen, here's what the St. Louis Blues have to work with. They have Vince Dunn, pending RFA, Marco Scandella, who they gave another four years to after he played for two teams prior this year. Um, they have Colonel Gunnarsson for another year, Jay Bomaster probably never playing again, and they also have some minor league uh, depth. Um, but mostly, it's Vince Dunn, Scandella, and Gunnarsson. You also forgot Justin Fl- Oh, you're talking about the left side. Yeah, Got I'm it. talking about the left side. On the right side, you're super stacked because one of Petrangelo, Pareko, and Falk is playing on the third pair. Right, 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 right. So, and they also have Bortuzzo as well. That's also served them well. Um, so on the left side, uh, this is a huge addition because Perunovic makes that left side better. Um, so you're right. We could see him as soon as next year. I think probably a full season in the AHL, at least maybe two, um, is the route that they're going to go. Like most prospects, I think, a year or two in the AHL. Um, even if they're very good, um, it's best to start them off you know, in, in baby steps, unless they're Connor McDavid, right? Right. Um, so um, there's that. Also, what's interesting to note is this guy was born in the state of Minnesota, played college hockey in the state of Minnesota, played high school hockey in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota and St. Louis are rivals. Yeah, good point. So when the Blues drafted him, or I'm guessing they interviewed him before they drafted him because one of the questions Doug Armstrong asked him is, if we draft you, will you sign? And he said he would, and he did. So um, Doug Armstrong obviously believes in this guy and believes in his word and that he will give us all to St. Louis. So uh, a Minnesota native signing with St. Louis um, and willing to commit to the organization, that's probably part of the reason why Armstrong took that leap. And we talk about his rookie season where he had 36 points in 42 games, also had 11 goals. Uh, in his final two seasons with uh, the Bulldogs in Minnesota Duluth, he had three and six goals. So combined his final two seasons, he didn't reach his rookie total. He had 11 goals as a rookie. He had eight or nine the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, but even still, his shooting percentage was pretty good because he didn't shoot the puck all that often. He also blocked a fair amount of shots. As a rookie, he blocked 36 shots. He blocked 35 as his second year. And uh, as a, a third-year player, he blocked the career-high 58. And uh, throughout all of that, he was still putting up points. Um, he 
won a couple of national titles with uh, Minnesota Duluth. His weakest offensive season was 29 points in 39 games in 2018-19. That was his second year. Even then, 29 points in 39 games is pretty freaking good. And he had um, remarkable runs where he would just uh, pick up points. He would have a lot, a fair amount of multi-assist games, a fair amount of multi-point games. Um, like I mentioned, Rookie of the Year winner in his uh, first year as well. Uh, that's something not too many Bulldogs have uh, done, Bulldog defensemen specifically. Um, he, he turned... I wouldn't say he turned around the program, but he did a lot of things that the program had never seen before. So he was a really polarizing player in that sense. Um, and Minnesota Duluth was consistently one of the best teams while he was there. Um, before the season was stopped in 2019-20, they were 22-10-2. They had won 10 of their final 12 games. In previous seasons, they went on a late season run as well. And that... Uh, led to a couple of national titles as I mentioned and uh, individually Paranovich um, really did well Uh, in his final year he had 40 points in 34 games how many defensemen have a 40 point season in the NCAA there aren't too many um, every season or in any season Um, so he he did a lot of good things for them Um, so I'm really interested to see how a guy that has posted 105 points in 115 games for defensemen at the NCAA level, what he's going to be able to do when he gets to the AHL, when he gets to the NHL. And in a couple of years, he could be playing meaningful minutes on this blue line. He could be easily a top two pairing defenseman, maybe even a top pairing defenseman. Um, In three plus years, I could honestly see that. Yeah. Uh, so first off, uh, Perunovic did get the Hobie Baker Award this year. Um, okay. And he also got the NCHC, which is the division that uh, Minnesota Duluth is in, the Offensive Defenseman of the Year Award for the third consecutive season yep. um, as well. And he became the sixth Bulldog player in team history to receive the Hobie Baker, uh, which is kind of interesting because – Historically, Minnesota Duluth isn't as well known for their hockey, college hockey stuff. So uh, that's good for them, I guess. Um, but I um, and the other thing that you mentioned was is that you think that Pareko is going to get traded? What if uh, Petrangelo doesn't get signed? If Petrangelo um, stays, Pareko goes. Oh, oh, oh okay. Walks, then nothing happens with Pareko. Got it, got it. I, I th- okay. I thought you were yeah, saying... Maybe that's the part ways with both, unless yeah. it's scorching the earth rebuild stuff. Got it, got it. Okay. I, I, I guess I just misheard you. I was, a, yeah. I was about to go to off clarify, on you. <laughs> like, to clarify, it's similar to Carlson yeah. and Pavelski. You can keep one, but you can't keep both. Right. But, like, also... You were, and then, but you mentioned like the because of the Marco Scandella signing, you think that they're gonna do Petrangelo, they're not gonna sign Petrangelo, which is fair. But how about the fact that Justin Falk is being paid 6.5 million per year, um, which is half more than what Marco Scandella is gonna be making next year? 
Um, yeah, so that's, that's the other one. Very promising prospect for him less than a year ago. I, I, yeah. I don't know how Doug Armstrong would look good after trading for a player, then giving him a big long-term deal, and then trade him like not even a year later. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying that they're gonna, they're gonna trade Justin Falk. Yeah, but, you can you can knock the overall cap hit of Justin Falk all you want. Right. That's totally justified because he's been on the third pairing. He hasn't really proven yeah. himself because Derek Petrangelo and Pareko ahead of him, and that's right. totally fine. But I, I'm saying that their top three defenseman is going after this season. I'm just saying that 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 you can. I think Petrangelo was gone as soon as they signed Justin Falk to that that amount of money. Yeah, I, I think the writing was on the wall at that point, especially when Scandella signed, just thinking, okay, if they're leaving to Petrangelo to sign last, then I totally get that. But that also means then they're going to have to trade somebody, and it's likely going to be Pareko, because you, it would just make no sense to make someone $5 million per to be playing a third-pairing role. Right, and right. It would just be nonsense. Yeah. Um, also, these, uh, and then I'm just looking here, and then we'll go on. Uh, Perunovic was the second best defenseman in the NCAA in terms of points. Uh, the first, the best defenseman in terms of points was David Ference, who is someone we talked about when we were talking about Nashville. So, uh, just an FYI, I was curious to see if he actually was the best defenseman in points this year, but it turns out that was David Ference. Um, so the next guy we're going to talk about here is uh, Clem Coston. Uh, now I have Try to say that thing. name five times fast. I know it's definitely tough. Well, the thing is, is like Jordan Cairo is a cool name. Scott Perunovic is pretty cool too. Clem Coston's uh, pretty cool too. And you reminded me about that Justin Falk trade. Uh, Dominic Bach is a sick name. Um, so. Uh, the yeah, <laughs> the blues good. are uh, are pretty cool with the the names of their prospects. Um, good name must obviously equal good player, right? Right, right. And they also, I mean, they do have Robert Thomas, which is like, <laughs> which is a boring, boring name, but uh, it does make up like it's like a reverse. It makes up for all the other ones, I guess. Um, anyways, Clem Costum. Here he has uh, thirty. He had thirty points in forty-eight games for San Antonio. Um, Thirteen of those were goals. Um, he played a couple of games in St. Louis this year. Uh, when I say a couple, I mean four games, uh, where he just had one goal. Um, I I haven't looked yet, but I would imagine his ice time wasn't high during that time period. Uh, but anyways, uh, last year he played. Uh, for San Antonio Rampage, where he kind of struggled still, um, where he had 24 points in 66 games. Um, and then he also played in the World Juniors for Team Russia, where he had uh, six points in seven games. Um, and then the year before that, he also played for San, the San Antonio Rampage, where he had 28 points in 67 games. Um, and also played for Team Russia, where he had eight points in five games for, in the World Juniors as well. So he's uh, it it's, appears that he hasn't figured out the the um, 
the AHL or it took him some time to figure out the AHL. But then once he did figure it out, like 30 points in 48 games is a stark improvement from the last two years there. So I imagine um, he'll be um, someone to watch out for in the coming years just because it seems like that's just how he develops is very slowly. Um, however, um, I don't know if that's like necessarily a bad thing considering what we just talked about with Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Steen, Braden Shen in the mix, Tarasenko of course is in the mix too. So um, I guess a couple of those guys I just mentioned aren't 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 wingers, but um, certainly I think like Clem Costin could be comparable to how they're going to treat Jordan Cairo, uh, where uh, where they'll they'll give him shots around, um, but he may not get a ton of ice time just considering that they have a pretty solid top six lineup at the moment. Mm-hmm. And like someone. Someone that can play with top six boards, but not necessarily get top six minutes. Exactly, right? yeah. And and not to mention, maybe he'll play with like Ivan Barbashev on the third line, or some, yeah. or even Robert Thomas on the third line. But, um, but yeah, I don't think he'll be a top line player um, anytime soon. But there might be a chance, especially since Steen and Schwartz and Bozak are all going to be UFAs in the upcoming year. So I could see it happening where maybe they let those guys go and then let, like, the newcomers come in, um, like Barbashev, Thomas, and Sanford um, in particular, and Kyrou too. So um, I could see that happening. Yeah, definitely Steen and Bozak. I think they might keep shorts around it. It depends. I I like what he brings to the table. Yeah. the one thing that you, that maybe not too many people will see, um, I'm going to mention this uh, in a bit about Clem Clauston, kind of looks like he plays with an edge. And I and I say that because I look at his penalty minutes, I'm just thinking, oh, this isn't the penalty minutes of a top six forward, what gives? And it kind of makes me think, is this one of those Mikhail yeah. Furlan, Tom Wilson types that just with an edge, but it's top six potential. Just um, to reiterate, oh, are you going to mention the penalty minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, okay. I'll mention the penalty minutes right away. So, um, I was about to do that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, first off, he's six foot three and weighs 212 pounds. So his frame is pretty big. Um, so a big and tough forward is something that the Blues need. Uh, in 30 MHL games, a couple leagues lower than uh, the KHL, and he put up a respectable amount of points for them. He had 74 penalty minutes in 30 games there. Uh, during his AKHL games, um, which he didn't get up the KHL, but he played in eight games there. He had 27 penalty minutes in those eight games. And then his first three AHL seasons, he had 72 penalty minutes at the rookie, 102 in year two, and in 48 games this year, he has 59 penalty minutes. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of wondering if he is one of those like Tom Wilson, Mikhail Berlin types that plays with an edge, but has has that kind of like top six potential that that could do some damage on the power play, you know, the odd time. Um, uh, but he, he the, I will give credit to Clauston. Um, he surpassed his shot total from last year, 
and played in 18 fewer games to do so. He had 30 points in 48 games this year. He had 13 goals in 48 games this year, career high in the AHL, and seven of those 12 were power play. Five of them were game winners. So like I said, really focused and, and got confident on the offensive side, and it's paid off for him this year. But prior to that, it looked like he was probably going to slide in as like a bottom six four, like a really good third line player. And I think at best, he could be a guy on the second line that does some good things for the Blues. At worst, he's going to be a really solid third line player that could play on a line with like Ivan Barbashev. I think he would fit right into that into that picture there. Um, but uh, the reason I think he could have top six potential is just because of his leadership on Team Russia and the fact he was um, one of their best offensive scorers whenever he did play in big tournaments. For example, at the U-17 Challenge early on, he had two goals and three assists in six games. Uh, then he played at uh, the World uh, World Juniors, the U18 World Juniors, also in 2015-16. In five games there, he had four assists. Um, got a silver at the U17 event. Um, and then he played in two World Juniors, the first being in 2018. And he had five goals and eight points in five games. Then he had three goals and six points in seven games as being captain in 2019, where he got a bronze medal and was a top three player on his team. Uh, for both World Junior events. Um, so that that's, again, that's why I think he could work in the top six. But right now I would classify him as a fringe top six, bottom six, because I think he is very capable of playing a really good second line role or a really good third line role. It just all depends on what the Blues depth chart looks like in a couple of years. Right, yeah. I that, that is a good point by bringing up his penalty minutes and all that stuff. And when I was reading more about his scouting reports, it says that he's more of a power forward type. So um, maybe that's a part of his game is just being the get-in-your-face type player. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also got great stick-handling abilities. Like, yeah. he, he can take through guys, too. For sure. So... Um, well, I mean, so, like, yeah, a lot of these power forward types can do the same, too. But, yeah, I, sure, I hear yeah. you. I guess every hockey player in the NHL has the ability to take around yeah. another NHL player. but Right. The other interesting thing here about Clint Costin is, and then we'll go on, but um, is that it appears that he's just a right winger. I mean, I guess that's the same for Jordan Cairo. Um, yeah. But uh, because the Blues do have Tarasenko, um, I wonder, I guess maybe there is going to be room for um, for Costin on the second line if Kairou doesn't take that spot. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I wonder because he can only play right winger, that kind of limits his ability of where he can go in the lineup um, because of it, that. It might but, limit his ability now, but you, you can teach an old dog new tricks, I think. Yeah, I yeah I don't know. I guess I don't know hockey well enough to know how tough it would be to transition from right wing to left wing. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's. I mean, I mean Giroud transitioned from center to the wing, and he's true. done that pretty well. I I guess it's it's only strange for defensemen. 
um, yeah. to change yeah, sides. Yeah, that, that would be a bit of a transition, unless your name's Dustin Bufflin. Yeah, that I can understand, but um, I don't... Uh, anyways, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's taken me twenty about 20 years to realize that it's hard to play another position, like left wing or right wing. It may not be as seamless. Um, anyways... We're going to go with our next guy, which is Joel Hoffer. Um, I was, um, and this was a, another 2018 draft pick. Um, Scott Barunovich was also 2018 as well, if you, if you recall. Uh, but this was a fourth round pick. Um, this was around the time when we weren't sure what to make of Jake Allen. Um, and Jordan Bennington wasn't put on the scene yet. So this guy could have been... Uh, like just an option for them in goal for like who's going to be their future for them. Um, along with Billy uh, Huso, who also had uh, some some uh, notoriety to him too. But um, although it seems like Huso has kind of fallen in the past couple of years, as I was looking here. But uh, the reason why I picked Joel Hoffer is is that he's he's kind of an interesting player in his own right. Uh, just because he, uh, so this year for the Portland Winterhawks, he had a 9.15 save percentage, um, a 2.46 GAA in, a 48, in 48 games. But he really shined in the World Juniors this year for Team Canada, where he had a 1.3 GAA and a save percentage of 9.46 with six games. Of course, it's Team Canada. They're always really good um, on forward and defenseman, but... Um, so it, 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 there is that aspect of things, but, um, that's, that's still hard to knock a sub to GAA in a save percentage over 940. So, um, so that's, that shows that he, at least he has something, uh, going for him. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know exactly how, where he's going to fit in the system, considering that they do have Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen still, and it seems like Jake Allen has figured some things out recently. Um, however, um, Bennington and Allen are both going to be UFAs in uh, another year, um, in the 2021 uh, offseason. Uh, so that, um, and Bennington might cost a lot. Uh, Jake Allen probably won't cost a ton, but he might cost, if he keeps this up, he'll cost a lot too. Um, so I could see maybe Joel Hoffer fitting in. Of course, this would mean that this is assuming that Joel Hoffer would have to, like, I would like to see him in the AHL, of course, um, and see how he does, but... Um, but I think this could be a good option for them in case Jordan Bennington does leave uh, St. Louis um, for a bigger contract in the next two years. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm almost wondering um, how COVID-19 could impact uh, the free agent market of 2021, but hopefully it's yeah. not around then. Um, and again, a conversation for another podcast. It might, but yeah, but that, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a couple there, There's of also a lot of big game goal needs, too, for St. Louis, so it's not like, oh my god, if we lose right. Jordan Binnington, there's Tuka Rask and Freddie Anderson, too, out there, you know? True, so, but 
I mean, that's all the more reason to see how he does in San Antonio for a year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's probably where he winds up um, when Jordan Bennington is on the final year of his deal. He'll probably play next year with San Antonio. Uh, as, as good as he's been in the WHL. So, for, first off, um, prior to this year's World Juniors, uh, Joel Hoffer wasn't even on my radar. Didn't even know too much about the guy wh- who uh, had drafted him in the NHL um, and later found out it was the Blues in 2018. Um, but at the beginning of the tournament, he wasn't the go-to guy. There were three guys they were going to roll with. There was Olivier Rodrigue, who was an Oilers prospect. There was Joel Hoffer of the Portland Winterhawks. And there was Nico Dawes of the Wells Storm, who was eligible for this year's NHL draft. And uh, Nico Dawes was a rookie goalie for the Gwell Storm that was honestly the Gwell Storm weren't expected to do all that well. And early on, they really soared in the standings. They later finished like sixth or seventh in the West. Um, the Western Conference, as it usually is in the in the OHL, is very very tough. Uh, even if you get forty wins, that might get you like fourth or fifth place in the conference at best because you have OHL giants like the London Knights and um, maybe the Kitchener Rangers as well. They're usually a good team. Um, But the Guelph Storm really did well. And part of the reason why they did so well early on was because of this rookie goalie named Nico Dodds. And he was one of those guys that no matter what was going on, he was calm, cool, and composed, always focused on the next shot, had great composure. He was the starter for Team Canada against the U.S. They won that game. Then they get shelled against Russia like 6 nothing, And then they turn to Joel Hoffer. And then after a couple of decent starts, they put their faith in Joel. He does good in the quarters, the semis, holds it together against Russia in the finals, and Canada wins goal. So at that moment, Joel Hoffer really caught my attention. So I was looking through his WHL stats. In 2017, he was a spectator on the Swift Current Broncos runs the Memorial Cup. They had won the WHL title. They were the first ones out, as most WHL teams are because of their long season. And then after that, uh, Swift Current went on a very deep dive, and they did not do well. Uh, he played 30 games for them in 2018-19, went 6-21-3, GAA over 4, but his save percentage was still 904. And I'm just thinking, why is that? Oh, he was averaging almost 42 shots per game. That makes a lot of sense. So he was just under siege every single time he was on the ice, and he was just doing his best every night to hold the fort. And miraculously, he went 6-21-3 with that Broncos team. Uh, midseason gets traded to the Portland Winterhawks, posts two shutouts in 18 games, goes 9-8-0, GAA of 3.18, and is still averaging 33.6 shots per game, but his save percentage is 9-11. So on a year where he wasn't getting enough offense or enough defense, or sometimes both, in a year where he was facing 38.8 shots per game, he still posted a 906 save percentage. He was like top five in shots based, top five in saves made. And he only played in 48 games. And he still got three shutouts and 15 wins. So it's it's when things are going really bad where people really judge someone's character. 
where the focus is really on that person and how that person is able to overcome adversity says a lot about them. And I think that season was a good test for Joel Hoffer as a person and as a professional goaltender. When things aren't going well, how do you hold up? How does your character hold up? How does your demeanor hold up? And he just kept on plugging away, kept on trying his best. And this year it all paid off. 9.15 save percentage, a much better GAA was down to 2.49. And he went 34.85 with the Winterhawks with one of the league's best in wins. Still faced close to 29 shots per game, but not nearly as much as he faced last year. And he still did very well. Was top 10 in GA, top 10 in save percentage. Just a lot of good came out of this year. And I think it's a sign of things to come. He's going to go in the AHL. He's going to do very well. And I think he could be a very admirable backup to whoever is the starter for the Blues beyond the next few years. Um, they do have some prospects named Billy Husso and Evan Fitzpatrick, um, who had some good years, but they've also had some pretty rough years. I don't even think that Fitzpatrick has, um, even made a mark, um, in, in the lower leagues, not, not much less the AHL, um, since his QMJL days ended. So, um, I think Joel Hoffer Outside of Huso, I think actually over Huso at this point, he's probably yeah. their best goalie prospect. Yeah, Huso didn't have a great season this year for the the Rampage. Oh, no, he had a good season this year, like it was a decent season. Last yeah. year was awful. Right. Like Jordan Vinnington rose, he fell flat on his face. Yeah, his I, guess, stats, I guess so. Stats were not great. His his GAA was over three point seven in the AHL. But this year, Huso has a 2.56 GAA, so that's yeah, a bit better. Which is much better than last year, yeah. But, but he has a, yeah. But his save percentage is a 909, which isn't great, so. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't even at 900 last yeah. year, though. So, um, yeah. So, and then the other thing is, is when you were talking about Joel Hoffer and, like, how you hadn't even heard of this guy, and then all of a sudden he plays... Um, out of his mind for Team Canada, that kind of reminded me of the rise of Jordan Binnington in a way, where like he just comes out of nowhere, um, and makes a name for himself at like the biggest moments. So, um, so yeah, that that could be an interesting parallel. But yeah, I could see um, it's kind of tough because we don't know what the Blues are gonna do with Binnington and Jake Allen. Um, I could definitely see, but. Bennington being signed long term, even um, in the time being, but like they do have cap space enough to to do that, but um, but yeah, so that's where it gets interesting, and maybe they trade him if they really believe in Jordan Bennington long term. Um, anyway, so the next guy um, is actually someone that I hadn't even heard of. Uh, until I did some research, <laughs> and uh, the re- the and it's like the Blues have an okay prospect pool. I think a lot of their prospects are in the NHL, or young players are in the NHL already. But um, so like I was just like thinking like okay, who should be the fifth guy we're gonna talk about for the Blues? Um, and it happened to be Nikita Alexandrov. 
Um, he uh, he was the second overall pick, or second, no, sorry, the 62nd overall pick for the Blues in 2019, and their first pick in the 2019 draft as well. Um, and he also, I was looking here, so I, I've been looking at the hockey news, and they have like a prospect guide, basically. Um, and Nikita Alexandrov is the, was their fourth best prospect for the Blues that they have here. Um, so that I found that kind of interesting. And then when I did some more research, I found that, oh, he's actually could be a pretty good player in the long run. Because uh, he, uh, so this year, he played for the Charlottetown Islanders, which is a QMH, QMJHL team, um, where he had 54 points in 42 games. Um, but he also stood out in World, the World Juniors this year, where he played for Team Russia, where he had eight points in seven games. Um, and for the most part, it seems like he's more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, which makes sense considering he's a center. Um, but um, yeah, he, obviously he's still pretty young, and he's still... Um, you know, it's tough to really project it even still, but, um, like he doesn't have like a draft pedigree, but at the same time, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, um, and I guess it's pretty, and Tyler Bozak are pretty much the only centers that the Blues have. Um, I guess Braden Shen too, although he doesn't play center as much as he usually does. So, um, so that's, there is definitely room for Alexandrov to be in the mix um, eventually. Um, I guess there is also uh, Ivan Barbashev, who's a center, and Robert Thomas, who can play center too. So um, that, that would be competition for him. But um, in the meantime, I could see him maybe just playing um, in the QMJHL for a couple more years, and maybe we see him in the AHL. Um, maybe in two years or something like that. Um, but yeah, it seems like they can wait on this guy and he could be good. It's, it's tough to really know. Yeah. I'm almost thinking it could be Brian O'Reilly 2.0 cause the forum one on him is a smart two, eight, four who happens to play center. So yep. they bring him under Ryan O'Reilly's wing. That's they, good idea. You, you learn from him. And when uh, Brian O'Reilly's near the end of his prime, you'll be at the start of his. So, um, you, you never know. Um, you talk about a guy that is more of a playmaker. Um, in 2017-18, uh, he played 66 games and got 175 shots. That's a respectable 2.65 shots per game average. Um, only got four power play points, only had 13 goals and 31 points in his rookie year. And that was a rookie year that had the likes of Alexei Lafreniere on it. So um, definitely not one of the top, top rookies, but a pretty respectable rookie season and then the 2018 playoffs roll around and he's arguably Charlottetown's best player with 17 points in 18 games uh his shooting percentage jumps 10 points compared to his regular season if it was 7.4 in the regular season he scored seven times on 41 shots in 18 playoff games that's a shooting percentage of 17.1 and he had eight power play points um to go with his 17 points in that playoff run so 
looking pretty fat, and he just continued to ride the wave in year two with the Islanders. He had 61 points in 64 games, 27 goals, 34 assists, had 217 shots on goal for an average of 3.39 shots per game, only 11 power play points. So he wasn't a power play threat at this point. He was doing some things on special teams, but not a legitimate job a dropping power play threat. Just yet. In 2019, seven points in six games, four of them goals on 25 shots. So that's an average of 4.17 shots per game, and he had two of his four goals with the extra man. So starting to showcase a little more of his talents. We get to this year, only plays 42 games, but his impact was pretty good as he got 23 goals, 31 assists, 54 points, just a hair under 180 shots. Um, shooting percentage over 10%. It was 12.8 this time. He averaged 4.26 shots per game. And of his 54 points, he had 12 goals and 10 assists on the power play. So there you start to see the power play totals really uh, hit their stride. Um, in terms of face-offs, done fairly well, um, but not Ryan O'Reilly good. Um, I hasn't really hit... 50% consistently um, playoffs or regular seasons, so that will be something for him to work on. Again, though, this guy was born in 2000, September 16, 2000. So the next September, he's going to be 20 years old. He's 19 now. So he's got a lot of room to grow. He's going to learn a lot from a lot of very talented players in St. In Louis. Probably will spend... Um, the usual like year or two in the AHL once his QMJHL days are done. He'll probably get another season of junior hockey in him before he goes down that route. So in three years, he'll probably be knocking on the door. In five years, you'll probably see him play consistent minutes at the NHL level. And they do have some decent prospects, but, but I think he's probably the prospect with the most upside. Um, and once guys like uh, Tyler Bozak leave, um, I, I think a spot will open up and he can be like a third or fourth line guy. Maybe they switch him to the wing because they have a lot of depth at center, but not so much on the wings. So maybe they move him to the wing and, yeah. and that's where he plays. So um, they could do a, a lot with this kid, but whether it's down the middle on the wings, um, he will have a role on this team and... Again, another guy that has top six potential, another guy that plays the two-way game pretty well. So I, I I wouldn't say the Blues have, in terms of quantity of prospects, that they're among the league's best, but they have a lot of good quality talent here. Right. That That's true. Um, okay, let's go. I realize we... We've talked for an hour now, so we uh, we should probably go to our other two teams now. Um, let's go to the Tampa Bay Lightning here. Uh, this is our next team here. I, I remember to do the Cat Friendly page now, um, so we're going to do it uh, now here. The UFAs are, they have a, quite a bit of UFAs this year, um, or this offseason. Uh, Patrick Maroon, Kevin Shankirk. Zach Bugajian and Luke Shen are all UFAs. Um, then their big RFAs 
they still have some bigger RFAs to fry, uh, so to speak, because Anthony Sorelli, uh, Mikhail Sergachev, and Eric Chernak are all going to be UFAs, but then there's also Mitchell Stevens and Carter Verhage. I think that's how you Carter pronounce Verhage, it. Yeah, um, oh, I guess also Mike Condon and Jan Ruta are also UFAs this year too, but um, that's that's also there. Um, and then uh, yeah, I think in general their big years were last year when they had to deal with Braden Point, but um, they don't have to worry about him for at least another season. So. Um, in terms of contract, but, um, yeah, they, they should be, they're set on that front, but their prospects, because they're a pretty good team, their prospects aren't as promising, but, uh, we are going to start with one here is, uh, Cal Foote. Um, he's a defenseman, uh, he played for the Syracuse Crunch this year, um, where I guess this is his second year, where he had 28 points in 62 games. Um, he had six of those were goals. Um, and then the year before that, he had 31 points in 76 games. So around this, uh, uh, so it was a better pace this year, even though he played in less games. Uh, but for obvious reasons, that's you know um, that's why he played in less games. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, he had 31 points in 76 games. Um, he's also, his brother is Nolan Foote, um, who's more well-known. But um, anyways, and, oh, and I guess I should mention that when he played for Kelowna, he had 70 points in 60 games his last year where he was the captain. Um, and then the year before that, he had, which was his draft year, he had 57 points. 71 games so um yeah it's he was picked 14th overall in 2017 uh in terms of where i see him fitting in the lineup um a lot of the defensemen for the lightning are are all gonna be ufas or rfas either this offseason or next offseason except for victor hedman and ryan mcdonough who are both set for long-term. Um, however, both of those guys are first left-handed defensemen, and um, they aren't, and they're they're pretty old, um, relatively speaking. Hedman's 29 years old, so that's still young, um, But and Ryan McDonough is 30 years old. But, um, but anyways, uh, the, this mix, they still have Sergachev, uh, I guess maybe they signed Shannon Kirk, who's a right-handed defenseman, um, and Chernak is another one who could be interesting too. But um, in terms of right-handed defensemen, which Cal Foot is, um, there isn't a ton of competition for him because you have Kevin Shannon Kirk, which they may not even sign, um, and he's been you know he's been inconsistent the last couple of years. Um, although he did bounce back this year, to, to his credit. Uh, you yeah, also he, have, he had a solid first half, but in the second half, kind of quiet, though. Right. Um, and then uh, Zach Bugasian's another one. I think there was, like, an issue with him throughout the 
year. Um, well, well, he he has to be released uh, from Buffalo or traded, and they just waived him, and then Tampa signed him. I see. Okay, so he's he's in a. I thought I thought he was having an issue with Tampa, but I guess it was just another. No, team. no, no. He yeah. had issues with Buffalo, which is how Tampa got him in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Luke Shen is another one, and then Eric Chernak, who's pretty good in his own right, but may not be as offensive as Cal Foot is. Um, so, I could see, um, I could see uh, Cal Foot being kind of like a, a Sergachev type player, um, but also maybe just being like an all-around player too at the same time. So. Uh, it could he could be in the mix because he is a right-handed defenseman and Hedman and McDonough are both left-handed defensemen who are the only defensemen they have that are set long-term. But I guess it would all depend on how the Lightning, what the Lightning do with all these defensemen that are free agents this year. Yeah, and again, you mentioned the fact that Anthony Sorelli, who I really like as a shutdown center on the third line with some offensive hype, but just a really good penalty killer for them. You need to keep him in the fold. And if you're going to keep Mikhail Sergachev in the mix uh, for a bit longer, guys like Kevin Shattenkirk probably biting the dust. Guys like Zach Bogosian, same thing. Luke Witowski, same thing. There are going to be a lot of defensemen that are going to be casualties on expiring deals. And you have a guy like Cal Foote who has a year left on his deal after this year, a year um, left on his entry level, um, you still have a season or two of him at a low price. And even then with his amount of NHL experience, he probably won't get much if he signs like a two-year or three-year bridge deal. You're getting a guy that'll probably get first pairing, second pairing minutes right away, simply because, as you mentioned, Tampa's very weak on the right side. Their their biggest asset is Shattenkirk on a one-year deal, and if he plays top-line minutes on the right side, he can potentially play with Victor Hedman, or worst case, Ryan McDonough or Mikhail Sergachev. So um, I, I really like Cal Foote's upside. The fact he's played a couple of seasons in the AHL, um, he had a respectable rookie year. He had 30-plus points there, close to 30 again this year. Um, so I don't think there's much more grooming he needs to do at the AHL level. I think he's done all he can there except dominate. Um, but I, I, I think there's not so much for him to prove. He's, he's got the frame. He's six foot four. He's 220 pounds. I think he's ready for the NHL. And it's just a matter of learning the game at the pro level. That's all he's got to do. Um, as you mentioned, Brett, the offensive pop is there. He showed it off uh, in the juniors uh, with the, the Kelowna Rockets, who have developed a lot of good talent. Uh, they developed Shea Weber before he became an NHL star. Uh, Cal Foote, as a rookie in 2015-16, had 14 power play points and 36 points in 71 games overall. Had a decent playoff run with nine points in 18 games there. Um, you you said, uh, Brett, as well, um, his draft year and the year after his draft year, he had 51 assists in both years, 57 and 70 points respectively. Um, he had 28 power play points in his draft year. The year after, he had 
32 power play points. One of the WHL's best defenders in his final two years there. And it's only going to get better for Cal because he has a lot of offensive talent to work with in Tampa Bay. And it wouldn't surprise me in his rookie season if he got 30 to 40 points right off the bat just because he plays on a good team and he's a good player. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think that that can be said for a lot of these guys in the next uh, for uh, for all these uh, players on on this team, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess also for the Maple Leafs, who are the next team we're going to talk about. But um, so the next guy we're going to talk about here is Alex Beret Boulay. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's another one that's, that could be pretty good. Um, I guess he was undrafted, uh, from the looks of it, but yeah, he was, he was undrafted in the NHL. Um, he, um, attended the LA Kings camp in 2016. That didn't lead to a contract. Yeah. He attended Vegas's camp the year later before their inaugural season. That didn't lead to a contract. And in March of 2018, he finally got one with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. Uh, he also, uh, I believe he also, let me look here. Okay, never mind. Um, he, I thought he, this guy led the league in points uh, in uh, the AHL this year, but it turns out he was fifth in points. Um, but still impressive. He, 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 was, he was a top 10 player in points in both of his AHL seasons to date. Got it. He did lead the QMJHL in scoring his final year, though. Ah, interesting. Okay, so I'll mention that. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So this year he uh, he played for the Syracuse Crunch. Um, this was his second year um, in the AHL, where he gets he has fifty six points in sixty games. He has twenty seven goals there. Uh, then the, his rookie year in the AHL, he gets. <coughs> 68 points in 74 games, which is still impressive, of course. Um, or, or obviously, <laughs> still impressive. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was all right. He, he only led the rookie scoring race. Yeah, yeah. no, no big deal. Yeah. Um, and uh, but he had yeah 68 points in 74 games, 34 goals and 34 assists, which is pretty nice. Um, and then uh, I guess he started. I don't know when the the lightning actually signed him but um march 2018 they signed 2018 okay so that explains it because uh for the blainesville blainesville boris brand armada blainesville bois brand armada okay thank you tough one he had uh 116 points in 65 games uh for the in the queue which was his best season by far in the QMJHL, I believe. Um, yep, and he won the scoring title yeah. that year. Because uh, I believe the year before that, he had he was traded to from Drummondville to Blansville. Um, and yeah. I'm trying to do the math here, but it does not equal 116. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he had by he had far the best season this year. Eighty-one points in sixty-five games. Yeah. In a season split with Drummondville and Blainville Bois Brian. Blainville Bois Brian. All right, that's that's a uh, that's a cool, 
cool It's a very name. French name. Yeah. Um, as for uh, where we'll see him in the league, um, it will be kind of interesting because I could see him pl being played right right away even. Um, just because, like, um, in terms of wingers, there's Kucherov, there's Palat, I guess Gord and Tyler Johnson have their moments too, but, um, and they just got Blake Coleman as well, but, um, other than that, it's not, um, just in terms of the wing, the, it's pretty much just Kucherov and Palat, um, so, uh, there's definitely room for younger wingers to take, take a spot in the top six, um, and I could see that happening for sure, um, as for if this will translate in the NHL, I'm not sure. Um, again, he is 5'10", um, and it says that he's a center, but I would imagine they'll put him on the wing um, for, for now because they need more help on the wing, um, especially when they have Stamkos, Point, and Sorelli um, at center. So, um, yeah, I could... I, I would imagine he'll be on the wing. I just, um, it, it's just tough to see if he'll be good is the question. Yeah, well, um, it kind of reminds you a little bit of Tyler Johnson. Undrafted, yep. put up decent numbers, and look at him now, right? Yanni Gord, so, too, I believe, was undrafted. Yeah, they, they, Tampa has a knack of uh, drafting and developing players yep. that, um, we'll call them wild right they, they have good numbers but for whatever reason a lot of teams resident are just like yeah we'll, we'll pass thanks but tampa's just like hey come over here you'll do great here and um that's that's why tampa has been so good for so many years it's just a consistency of drafting and drafting and developing good talent because you know not every single player they're gonna draft and develop is gonna play meaningful hockey with them from start to finish but they know what they need and they know how to adapt and they've been able to adapt very well um, in a salary cap league and they've continued to be a consistent threat and they know who their core pieces are. At the same time though, there are going to be players that due to salary cap reasons, due to their long-term deals, due to maybe lack of production or injuries that are going to find themselves on the outside looking in. And players like Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson are probably going to be on that outside-looking-in type of bubble. And guys like Alex Barre-Boulet are going to snag their jobs like that. And I can really see him in a couple of years playing top six minutes for the Tampa Bay Lightning and doing very well. Um, I, I like what Yanni Gord brings. I think he could be on the outside-looking-in, too, just because of his contract. Um because with all of that talent, like I said with Tampa Bay, there's a lot of puck distribution. Not everyone's going to get the points all the time. It all depends on who's playing with who, right? Um, and we saw that with Yanni Gould last year. Saw that with Braden Point um, uh, this year a little bit as well. Because, you know, if you're not playing on the first line with, with Stankos and Kucherov, you're playing on a second line, which is good, but you're still not getting like 90 to 100 points um, because your team is that well balanced and there's a lot of puck sharing, puck distribution. So um, 
But yeah, the way this guy was scoring in the NFL, like it's crazy. Like top rookie, I think he was tied for the league league with Carver Hagee in goals last year as a rookie, which is impressive. Um, this year he uh, was uh, given a spot on the AHL's second all-star team. And to put things into perspective, this isn't by conference. This is league-wide. And there were, like, two players on Belleville that made it. There were four players on the Iowa Wild that made it. And this is wide. And Osbury Boulay got on the second all-star team in his second year. And he's put up all-star numbers in the AHL for both of the years that he played. Um, in his second QMJHL season, he had 35 goals and 89 points, averaged over three shots per game. As a rookie, he had 51 points and 23 goals, um, and 17 of those 51 points were on the power play as well. Uh, we mentioned that split season with Drummondville and Blaville Boabrian. He averaged um, 3.66 shots that season with 238 shots. He had 52 assists and 81 points there. Um, and then in his final year, on top of some very good playoff runs, he almost had 300 shots, had 53 goals in 65 games, 116 points, had 49 points on the power play alone, 14 game winners, just a monster year on all levels. And once again, for the second straight year, just tore it up in the QMJHL playoffs. And he just hasn't slowed down. And he's been pretty good at taking faceoffs too. But again, with that amount of star-studded depth down the middle with Stamkos, with Point, with Sorelli as the shutdown penalty killer, almost definitely going to the right wing if he's going to get top six minutes, if he's going to get um, the type of points that you would expect, like 50 to 60 points, maybe more than that. I can totally see it. But he's going to have to move to the wing because there's just no room for him down the middle. But I definitely see him putting off some very good seasons in the age, in, in the NHL because of how well he's done at the junior level and in the AHL the past couple of years. I really like his upside a lot. Right. For sure. Um yeah, and and I guess the same can be said for that we said for Calfoot that we can say for Beret Belay is that um, as long as he's um, you know he's all like he has a good chance of being good as like when the Lightning are good so because um, he'll be playing with a lot of good players too so uh, that's and I think he also has that chip on his shoulder. The fact that he went to two NHL camps, didn't get a contract, and on his third shot, Tampa Bay gave him a contract. Uh, the fact that he was undrafted in the NHL, when a player has something to prove, that might drive him a little bit more to be the best. And we yeah. saw it We said it many times. I think that's part of the reason why Martin St. Louis became so yeah, good. I was about to mention because that. Because when he got motivated, he played his Yeah, for sure. Um, and I believe uh, Beret Boulet is also pretty short, too, so that's that's also yeah, probably a factor. Um, I actually have his frame rate here. According to 
his NHL profile. Alex Bray Boulay is five foot nine, weighs one hundred and seventy-two pounds. Oh. Um. Um. So yeah, so that's pretty short too. So a lot like Martin's St. Louis, although I believe St. Louis is even shorter. Um. Anyways, we're getting off track here. Um. So we're, the the next guy we're gonna talk about is uh, Taylor Radish. Um, see, the thing with the, the Lightning is is that they don't, uh, because they've been good for quite a while, it's like their prospect pool isn't as good. Um, but, um, but I don't know. There, there is something to be said about how, um, you know, it's not like they, they could be something, so it's, it's why we're doing it, but, um, I'm starting to realize like, oh, well, maybe this guy isn't as good as I thought he was. Because I'm looking here, uh, this last year he had 35 points in 62 games, so that's a half a point pace around, which isn't bad. Um, and then the year before that for Syracuse, again, uh, his rookie year in Syracuse, he had 46 points in 70 games. Um, so that's also not bad. But then, um, then when I was looking at stats ahead of, him where he played for the Ariotters for a couple years and I imagine those were teams that if I have my time right that's when uh Connor McDavid Alex Dibrincat and Dylan Strom were all on that team um so uh so it's like rookie year he had 27 points in 58 games and that was the yeah. year that McDavid was on yeah, that was McDavid's final year because right. he got drafted by the Oilers. In 2015, Oilers. that's right. And then the next year, this was when a team that had Debrincat and I think Dylan Strom. Yeah, um, both, both, both uh, 2015-16 and 2016-17, Debrincat and Strom were still playing yeah. for the Erie Otters. But even still, like, uh, Taylor Radish played pretty well or had good point, yeah. a lot of points in that, in that regard. Uh, where he had 73 points in 67 games in the 2015-2016 season, and then in the 2016-2017 season, he had 109 points in 58 games. Uh, six of them, six points in seven games for Team Canada in the World Juniors that year as well. Um, and then, uh, and then we we're gonna play my favorite game uh, in this series of trying to do math really quickly here um, because he was traded to the Sioux Greyhound, Greyhounds the following year. Um, and that, that season, uh, the Greyhounds had Morgan Frost, and oh, wow. uh, they couldn't they couldn't be stopped. They um, were the league's best team. They had 50-plus wins, oh, wow. miles ahead of everyone else. Um, and that year he had 40 – wait, let's see here uh, – 63 points, I believe, in uh, 58 games. Um, did, I, did I get that right? 73 and 58. You were uh, okay, well, I got the game slowed down. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. All right. Well, whatever. In the playoffs, he had 34 points in 24 games, I see here. Um so I, I just wanted to I just wanted to start off with something easy. And then um in the World Juniors that year, I guess he played again for Team Canada. 
uh, where he had five points in seven games that year, too. So, um, there is definitely, um, there is definitely potential here. I do think, though, that it's, um, it is waning, though, once he gets into the AHL, because it's, um, it's not like he's been as impressive in the AHL as he has been in the OHL. Um, so it could just be that he will, um, he'll try to like figure something out, um, in the HL. Um, but I, I'm reading here that getting into battles and winning them is the issue for this power forward. So maybe that's something that's, uh, that's happening with him. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you have on, on Radish? Well, it's interesting that getting into battles and winning them is a tough challenge because he's six foot two and he weighs two hundred nine pounds. Yeah, so that's I a good don't point. think size is the issue for this right winger, but You're right. Um, and and unlike Beret Boulay, he was drafted and not only drafted, he was drafted as a second round pick in twenty sixteen. So they were pretty high on this guy. Yeah. But definitely for Tampa, you're you need guys on that team that can win puck battles because there are enough guys that can create offense out of nothing, but you need those hardworking guys that can win puck battles along the boards. And if Taylor Radish can't do that, uh, his role will probably be limited uh, once he gets to the big club. Uh, in fairness, in his rookie year, maybe he could have done more if it wasn't for Verhage and Boulay because both of them were like one of the league's top scorers. I believe Verhage actually won the league's scoring title last year. He had like 82 points or something. And well. then he made the big club this year, and Beret Boulay was like a top ten scorer, um, even still. So that that could have played into a role why Radish hasn't dominated as much as many people expected, because he's just been playing with a lot of good talent that's posted more points than him. But right. uh, even still, I think he's a pretty decent player. And like we mentioned when we talked about Alex, Alex Beret Boulay, they're they're okay on the right wing, but like Alex Kalorn, as much as I like Alex Kalorn, he's a fringe top six, bottom six forward. He hasn't posted top six numbers offensively until this year. This right. this year has arguably been his career year. And you have Blake Coleman who has some upside, but does he have as much upside as Bray Boulay? Maybe not. Um, but there, there are some offensive metrics that I do like about him. There are some offensive metrics that I like about Yannick Gord. But it's not like down the middle where they're totally stacked. Like, there is some room to grow. So I could definitely see Taylor Radish uh, playing a key role for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think it would probably be on the third line, though. Uh, I don't think it's a first line or a second line. I do like what he provides. Um when playing with good talent, he's shown that he can put up good numbers when playing with good talent. In the Memorial Cup, he showed it in 2017. Uh, scored five times on 19 shots. That's a 26.3 shooting percentage. Yikes. And uh, he only played in five games. I think only Dylan Strom had more points than him. So he, he was definitely a key contributor at Erie Otter's offense for many years. And on a typical year, you could expect 30-plus goals, 200-plus shots, 70, 80 points, upwards of 20 points on the power play. Uh, 
definitely a consistent producer. The question is, of course, is he going to put it together in the pros once he gets there? And I think everyone looked at his OHL numbers and thought, okay, he's going to be a dynamic player on the Syracuse Crunch now. But sometimes it doesn't always happen. It doesn't happen right away. It doesn't come that easy. You just got to stick with it. So uh, it, it'll be interesting uh, how they um, manage Radish's development. But um, he has some potential to play in their top nine forwards. Uh, I just don't know what his ceiling is yet. And I don't know if it's any higher than the top six that Tampa Bay has right now in their line. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He'll probably be a top a top nine forward at the least if he makes it yeah. to the NHL, but it seems like he has some room to grow there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy we're going to talk about now is uh, Gabriel Fortier. Um, he, he plays for the Moncton Wildcats. He was a second-round pick for the Lightning in 2018. Um, and, uh, oh, he, again, my favorite game, although this is a little bit easier to do the math of because, uh, he had 31 points in 28 games for Moncton, and then he had 32 points in 36 games for the Bay Como Dracar team, um, which is a sick name. I remember saying that before. Uh, so... That means he had 63 points in 62 games, um, I believe. Uh, anyways, uh, but like a big reason why I... Uh, 63, add 63 points in 64 games is what I have. So you got okay. the points right, but you were off on the games played. Uh, okay, so it's a reverse problem then. Um, but anyways, it was, it was one of those things, uh, so when I look at elite prospects uh, to see who the Lightning had in terms of prospects, um, and like who was good and stuff, I saw that Fortier had the most points of anyone here. So yeah, so, oh, 63 points in 64 games. They combined them yeah. on, uh, it, when you search it that way. Uh, so, yeah, so that that's pretty good, and he had the most points um, from anyone on this, uh, uh, of a Tampa Bay Lightning roster, or their farm team, basically. Um, so, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Um, of course, he's, you know, he doesn't have a high draft pedigree, but he was second-round pick, as I mentioned. Um, the year before that, he had 83 points in 68 games. He played a couple of games at Syracuse. Um, and then, um, yeah, yeah, I could continue on with, uh, what he did at Bay Como Drakkar, um, where he had 59 points in 66 games. That seemed to be his breakout year. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like, uh, I would like to see how this guy does, at Syracuse for a full season before um, I see how good he is. Like, it seems like he's, um, he's been, uh, he can, he's shown that he can uh, take over in uh, the QMJHL and that seems to be too easy for him. So 
Uh, the next step would be the AHL, and I wonder how he does in that regard. Um, yeah, he's another winger. It says here that he's a left winger, or he could play center as well, but I would imagine the Lightning will put him on the left wing uh, to start. Um, and like you mentioned, with there's Alex Cohorn, um, he would be better than maybe even Tyler Johnson or something. But, um, but yeah, uh, I could see him being in like a, a, a second line or even a third line role um, in, in a couple of years. This is assuming that he does well in, in the AHL. Mm-hmm. And um, he'll probably, you know, if he plays another year in the QMJHL, he'll get another, he'll get a season or two in Syracuse. Uh, right. To see what he does. Um, a small clarification on the last one when I was talking about Taylor Radish, I mentioned Kalorin as a right winger. He's a left winger. Uh, Kucherov is the first line left winger. So good luck uh, oh. getting a top line spot with Kucherov in the uh-huh. line on the right side. So. Okay. Uh, to anyone who wants to play right wing, yeah, uh, I think the first line right wing spot is taken. Yeah. And probably won't be for many years. Um, I guess I yeah. forgot to correct you there. I would have caught yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. No, I caught myself there. Um, but, yeah, I mentioned their depth on the wings isn't as strong as it is down the middle. And even more so on the left side, because taking a look at their left wing options, while they do have some pretty good options uh right now uh in terms of the roster spots you have alex kalorn uh with three years left on his deal that pays him almost 4.5 million per uh that's his cap hit right now and again as i alluded to before only this year he's posting top six numbers uh then you also have andre palat patrick maroon Corey Conacher in the minors, who has played in the NHL a bunch before, and Matthew Joseph, who who could have uh, a, a decent future there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think for someone like Gabriel Forgey, maybe Taylor Radish, if he even moves to the left wing, there's potential to make some top six noise there. Um, the thing about Gabriel Forgey is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, He's actually uh, got some reasonable exposure um, in taking faceoffs. Um, I remember jotting this down somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so he won 141 of 310 draws uh, in 2016-17, but that's a 45.5 win percentage. Um and then as a fourth leading scorer on the Drakkar in 2017-18, he took over 1,300 face-offs, oh, wow. and he won 611 of them. Sadly, his face-off percentage improved by 0.1%. Jeez, so it went yeah. from 45.5 to 45.6 in a year. Uh, and then he took, 100, uh, he, sorry, he took 956 face-offs in 2018-19, won 489 for a win percentage of 51.2. Um, and then this year, he only took 511 draws. Uh, so he was mostly a winger at this point. Uh, even still, it doesn't matter how many face-offs he took, as we mentioned before, probably playing on the wing because that's where the depth is lacking, not down the middle. Um, but like you said, there was some promising signs in 2016-17 as a rookie in the queue where he had 11 goals and 17 points uh, in 25 games 
So that's a 20% shooting percentage. That's pretty good. And five power play points, too. Um, started to get better in 2017-18 when he had 59 points in 66 games, uh, 20 of those points on the power play. Uh, and in the 2018 playoffs, once again, similar to 2017, he averaged four shots per game, um, although he, he played a more meaningful role in, the, in this playoff run. And uh, continued to do well in the playoffs in 2019. He averaged 4.43 shots per game, uh, 31 shots in a seven-game loss. Um, but even still, he, he proved his worth there. And he had uh, 35 goals and 83 points in the regular season, as you mentioned, over 200 shots, 18 power play points. So respectable numbers there. And then closer to a point per game this year, he had 234 shots on goal. 19 power play points, uh, 13.7 shooting percentage. So he, a very consistent shooter, someone that can shoot the puck a decent amount and score a decent amount on the power play. Um, but it's it's not like he's one of those explosive offensive guys. Like he's, I would say, pretty good offensive player, but not very good or great. Uh, but definitely has some NHL upside to him. Um, in terms of size, he's five foot ten, hundred and seventy-three, so a bit smaller than Radish, and doesn't weigh as much. But uh, there's there's still room to grow there. Um, I, I think he could provide some good results. There's some decent competition in the prospect pool, uh, but again, as Tampa continues to be up against the cap, they're going to have to rely a lot of as on entry level deals. And the fact of the matter is, this guy right now is on his entry-level contract. It hasn't even started. So right away, the second he goes into Syracuse, he's got three years on the clock. So um, they have time to develop this kid. They still have a decent amount of help on the left wing. So there's no need to rush him in any way. Um, and in five years, it'll be interesting to see where he is. But I don't expect him to get a roster spot in three years and get meaningful hockey then, but in five years we could start to see what he could do at the pro level. Right, for sure. Um, okay. Uh, then the last guy we're going to talk about is actually a goalie. Um, is, uh, his name is Hugo Alnefeld. Um, he was a 2019 round, a third round pick. Um, so this year, um, he, uh, so yeah, he plays in the Swedish Hockey League for HV71. Um, he has a 2.57 GAA and a save percentage of 905 in 18 games. Um, he also played in the World Juniors um, in, uh, for Sweden, where he had a 924 save percentage and a 2.12 GAA in, a six, in six games. Um, what caught my eye though with him is, well, first off, he's an 18 year old playing in a professional hockey league, like in the, the SHL, but also I, um, as I, I look at this, you know, the, how I've been doing this, uh, this stuff is, well, first Steve gives me a list of prospects that he thinks that we should cover. Um, I also, so I take note of that, um. And I often take his suggestions, but uh, sometimes I look at um, 
the hockey news and their their draft preview, and I've been mentioning them throughout this series, but um, I saw here that they had Hugo Allenfeld as the the top prospect for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Really? Yeah. Higher and than Boulay. Higher than Boulay, high, higher than Foot. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting, especially considering that they had, you know, the, the Lightning have uh, Andre Vasilevsky for, um, on, not only do they have Andre Vasilevsky, who's still pretty young, but they also have him on a contract for the next, like, eight or nine years. So I was like, yeah, okay. Eight, eight, yeah. um, uh, so for a high amount of, uh, of money. So I was just like, all right, this is kind of interesting. He must be really good, um, and they must be high on him. So I guess there, there, there is something for that where they, uh, they really believe in him, I guess. Um, so I would imagine... If he were to be in the NHL, um, he will be like uh, the one B option for Vasilevsky in case Vasilevsky gets too fatigued, um, which is a popular trend in the NHL now, um, and makes sense. Um, but the other thing is, as I see here on um, on uh, his elite friendly, uh, elite friendly page, his elite prospect page, that uh, that he is signed for HV seventy one again this year, um, so or this next upcoming year, so uh, so it might take some time before we actually see him in the NHL. But I guess um, according to the hockey news, I guess they were impressed with his performance in the World Juniors, um, and so maybe that. That will continue, um, but yeah, I thought this would be an interesting guy uh, to talk about as the Tampa Bay's fifth prospect here. Yeah, um, you do mention a good point about goaltending because, yeah, they have committed to Andre Vasilevsky. Behind him, there is a huge gaping hole yep. that will be exposed once Curtis McElhaney leaves the crease because here, here's, here's the thing. Their prospect pool in terms of goalie is is not, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's not great. Yeah. Um, you have Curtis McElhinney for the present, late 30s, you could get a couple of years out of him, but beyond that, you're probably going to have to look for backup goalies on the open market. Uh, sometimes they aren't plentiful in the open market. Uh, so you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit with somebody. Uh, they rolled the dice with Louis Domingue. To his credit, he played well, but he was on a good team. They traded him to New Jersey. And for whatever reason, outside Tampa Bay, he struggled to put up good stats in the, in the NHL, which is unfortunate for him. Um, so once Curtis McElhinney is gone, here is who they have currently in their prospect pool. They have Mike Condon, who... Had some good times in Montreal, had some good times in Ottawa when thrusted into a significant role, but then he hit a dry spell in 2017-18, then he had that awful center rights goal in Arizona, never fully recovered, got injured, and has been buried in the minors since then. You also have Spencer Martin and Scott Wedgwood, who had good memories in the OHL, had their moments, but in 
they've been mostly AHL goalies. For the most part, they played uh, most of their professional days in the American Hockey League. Um, so are they going to be viable NHL options where in a scenario where you're playing two good teams in a back-to-back, do you feel comfortable putting them in the net and getting results? You, you look at Toronto and that's where some of their problems have been is they don't have the right backup goalie for Freddie Anderson. They play Freddie Anderson too much. He gets fatigued and they bite the bullet eventually. And sometimes they've, but they've, uh, they've took a punch to the chin too many times. And um, it, it's happened a lot this year too. So Tampa doesn't want to go down that route. So they're, they're just like, okay, we need to have a decent goalie in in the prospect system that we can develop. And so they take this guy, six foot three hundred and eighty three pounds in 2019. Um, and you know what? Based on the four-on-one, I like what I see. Uh, he has a knack for being square to the puck, moves his arms well. That's something that you like to see out of a goalie. Um, athletic blocker hand, athletic glove hand. Um, he can make dynamic saves, but is common composed in the net. And that's what a lot of scouts also like to look for, is how composed is a goalie in the net when things are chaotic, when things aren't going your way. What's his composure like? And if this guy is cool as a cucumber in the net and he's still stopping the pucks, even after a bad shift or a bad sequence, that ultimately will get you more games. Even if you don't stay with one team, and you travel around the league, you're still wanted at the yeah. end of the day. There are people out there that still want you. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to play for nine or ten different teams. So long as people want you and they feel you can still play in this league, that's a good thing. So um, I, I like that about Hugo Allen Uh We mentioned uh, his World Junior stats. Um, in the round robin, he was pretty decent. Uh, he stopped 23 of 25 shots in an OT win over Finland, then turned aside 25 of 27 in a 5-2 victory over Switzerland two days later. Barely tested against Slovakia on New Year's Eve in a 6-2 victory, only faced 18 shots, stopped 16 of those. Um, we get to the quarters, 5-0 win over the Czechs, stops 23 shots, all 23, in fact, for the shutout. Uh, and then the final two games is where you really saw the best out of him. I think he made a wicked save against the Russians, and he faced 44 shots in that game. Uh, Sweden lost 5-4 in overtime, but really held the fort for the most part. And then against Finland in the bronze medal game, he stops 32 of 34, and Sweden wins bronze. Um, so it there are a lot of things to like about this guy, and I think if you're looking for a very capable backup for Andre Vasilevsky and a young one at that. Hopefully this guy can prove to be that calming presence for Vasilevsky. Uh, someone that can play 25 to 30 games, keep Vasilevsky fresh in time for the playoffs. And I think that's one of the missing pieces that Tampa Bay needs for the future is a young, stable backup goaltender. Yeah, for sure. All right, we have to get going here. Uh, we're almost at two hours, and we haven't even covered the, the Maple Leafs. So, um, yeah, 
Uh, let's go to the Maple Leafs, in fact. They're a cap-friendly page. Uh, Kyle Clifford, Jason Spezza, Cody Cece, and uh, Tyson Berry are all UFAs. Uh, their RFAs are Travis Dermott, uh, Dennis Malgin, and Frederick Gauthier. Uh, less of a headache than it was last year, uh, considering that Mitch Marner and Matthews were both RFAs, and that was a whole ordeal. Um, and then the year before that, you had William Nylander, and, the, and those guys are all locked up long-term, so that's good for them. But it still means that they have to rely on a lot of their prospects to, um, to take over because, because they have uh, a lot of money assigned to four guys in particular. Um, so that's, uh, that makes everything a little bit more intriguing uh, because their prospects are, could have a chance to make an impact almost right away. Um, and in fact, they even did. Um, which is, uh, which is evident with how uh, what happened with Rasmus Sandin. Uh, he was the 2018 draft pick for them in the first round. Um, he went uh, 29th overall. I remember uh, vividly when this happened that like the blue uh, the Maple Leafs traded with the Blues. Uh, then they wanted to trade down to get Rasmus Sandin because they traded down to get him, I guess. Um, and the Blues ended up taking Dominic Bach that ra that in that pick or something like that. Um, so I, I remember that trade in the in the draft. But um, but anyways, Rasmus Sandin has been pretty good, um, and a big reason why um, I think the the Maple Leafs were happy to trade down was because uh, he played for the Sioux Greyhounds, which is what uh, Kyle Dubas's GM team was um, in the back when he was the GM in the OHL. Um, and that year he had 45 points in 51 games for the Sioux Greyhounds on loan. Um, he also had, um, he also played a bit in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, for a time for Rogel BK, where he had one assist in five games, which um, wasn't bad for an 18-year-old at the time. Um, then the next year, he plays for the Toronto Marlies, um, where he gets uh, 28 points in 44 games, so that that's pretty good. Um, and then in the AHL playoffs that year, he had 10 points in 13 games, which is uh, really good for, for him. Uh, he also plays for in the World Juniors, that year, uh, where he had four points in five games. Um, this year, he played. Uh, he played for the Marner, the Marners, the the Marlies for a bit, uh, where he had fifteen points in twenty-one games. Uh, that was good enough to move him up to the Toronto Maple Leafs for twenty-eight games, um, and he had eight points there, um, and that was with fourteen minutes of ice time in. Uh, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you take into account that, A, he had 14 minutes of ice time on average, and he had um, an eight, like, you know, he's a defenseman, uh, that's not too bad uh, to start things off, and he's also, like, a 19-year-old. Um, so, uh, yeah, it seems like this guy could be a pretty good player for 
the Maple Leafs, and especially considering that um, the Maple Leafs, they they won't, they likely won't be able to keep Tyson Berry next year, um, and they won't, um, and I guess like Morgan Riley will be um, an issue. I mean, maybe not an issue, but they have Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin on the left side, but uh, Sandine. Um, oh, he's also a left-handed defenseman. So I guess that would be an issue for them but um, in the long run. But I could see him definitely being, like, um, on the second pair, like, as opposed to Morgan Riley, where you have Riley on once uh, for, like, uh, most of the game, and then you have Sandine for the rest of it. Um, and that could be something that could work out for them. Um but yeah, I, I do like how the Maple Leafs have addressed their defensive, their issues with need, um, and they may be able to fill it with, uh, with Rasmus Sandin. Yeah, and, and the thing with, um, with uh, Jake Muzzin, although he's a left-handed shot, I think he was experimented on the right side before, so at worst, uh, so far anyway, it depends what happens with Morgan Riley. He's got two years after this one left on his deal, and we'll probably get a race whether it's with the Leafs or with someone else. Um, but, um, yeah, Sandine is on a loaded left-hand side. There are a lot of great options there. Travis Dermott is also a left-handed shot, but he's also played on the right side, too. Um, so there are a lot. there's a lot of flexibility, uh, not just on the roster, but in the prospect pool in terms of left-handed shots. Um, but the upside is just so undeniable with this kid. Um, I think in many other drafts, he would probably be a top 10 pick. Instead, he was 29th overall the year he was drafted. Um, he spent some time in Europe, was loaned to the Greyhounds in 2017-18, only played 51 games, but got, 49, uh, got 45 points and didn't even get 100 shots. So his shooting percentage was 12.8. For a defenseman, that's pretty good. And he also had 16 power play points, played a key role in their playoff run. They went to the OHL finals with the Greyhounds, uh, lost to Hamilton, but um, really developed a lot as a player in that season. And then he plays 44 games in 2018-19, gets 28 points with the AHL Marlies, um, plays in 21 games this year, gets 15 points there. Those points per game goes up again. There's just so much to like about this guy. Just looks like a very smart offensive defenseman. There's a lot of hype there. And I really like what he brings, especially when he gets on a roll. He could be one of those captivating blue liners of the future for, for Team Sweden, for the Maple Leafs. Just a rising star. And I don't think even close to scratching the ceiling as well. Like as an OHL rookie, he had three four game point he had three four game point streaks and he also had an eight game point streak so like this guy can really dominate when he gets on a roll and i just don't think he's gotten the chance to really display that talent because toronto is so good on the left side you saw in the world junior um this past year how good he was he was a t i think i don't know if he was the top scoring defenseman but he was certainly up there and in the eyes of many, Sweden's best player, potentially World Juniors MVP if Sweden beats Russia and gets to the finals. 
Um, so I, I really like what this guy brings to the table. I think he's going to be a great NHLer for many years. Um, and depending on what happens with Morgan Riley someday, could be a top-pairing defenseman for this team. Right. Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about is another defenseman, Timothy Lilligren. Uh, he was a 2017 draft pick. Um, he went the 17th overall um, that year. Um, this was I remember when the Maple Leafs drafted him, um, and I thought, like, oh, this is a big steal for them, because I remember even earlier on that year, like, people had thought that Lilligren would be, like, a top five pick or something like that. So the, the fact that he slipped all the way down to the Maple Leafs uh, was was pretty good. And this was around the time when the Maple Leafs were finally getting it together because, you know, that was Matthews' rookie year and Marner's rookie year and Nylander's rookie year. So uh, the fact that it's like, oh, they needed to address the defenseman and uh, and they did, and this guy could be the, the guy that um, could help them out in the long run. Um, so, so that was big for them. Um, however, it seems like he, he kept on getting injured. Um, so we never actually got to see how good he could be. Um, but his draft year, he played a couple of games in the SHL for Rogel BK, which I guess is the same, uh, team that <coughs> Rasmus Sandin did, but it's different seasons, um, where he had five points in 19 games. Um, he also played a bit in the World Juniors in the under-18s that year. He had two assists in seven games. Um, but uh, the following year, he goes straight to the Toronto Marlies, where he has 17 points in 44 games. So, that, uh, again, he was injured for a couple of those um, games. But then uh, he also plays in the under-20s. Uh, for Sweden, and he had two assists, or two, sorry, two points in seven games. Um, so it isn't as impressive as we all thought he would be. But then uh, the following year, he gets, he has 15 points in 43 games. Um, again, that's another shortened season due to injury. Um, but then this year, he plays, um, he plays a full season. Um, where he has 30 points in 40 games, um, and uh, he even played a bit for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, in 11 games, he has one assist, but again, that was only 10 minutes of ice time. Um, the thing that's different from Lilligren uh, to Sandine is that Lilligren is a right-handed defenseman, so that makes it a lot easier for him to take charge, uh, considering the fact that uh, the best right-handed defenseman they have right now is uh, Tyson Berry, and Tyson Berry is probably going to be gone this year. So, um, so there is definitely a chance for Lilligren to be in the top um, top four pairing uh, for the Maple Leafs in the long run, especially when they can use his short his contracts uh, stuff. So. Um, so I could see him in the league even as soon as next year, uh, just so that, because the Maple Leafs need those cheap entry-level contracts to uh, be able to afford those Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Nylander. Um, so, um, yeah, I could see that happening. And uh, maybe he'll 
he'll be paired with Riley, or maybe he'll be paired with Sandine or Jay, uh, Jake Muzzin, but um, this could be a good pairing for any of those three left-handed guys. Yeah, um, and I think, safe to say it, a lot of pe- a lot of people, pundits, hockey fans alike, felt that after this year, Tyson Berry wasn't coming back, simply because of cap reasons. Yeah. But um, there was an interview this, uh, this past week, or the week before, where Berry said... Um, the next team I go to, whether it's Toronto or whoever, uh, the next contract that I sign has to be the right fit uh, for, for the team and for me. And there are a lot of teams that I feel check those boxes. So um, I think he's probably going to hit the open market and he'll probably sign with another team, as we all thought would happen. But I think it just solidified that theory um, that Barry's probably gone after this year behind him. There's Cody Cece, also a pending UFA. Um, and the difference between Cece and Barry is Barry's lived up to the hype as an NHLer. Cece, unfortunately, for whatever reason, just hasn't happened for him. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Leafs also moved on from Cody Cece as well. And um, right defense, we mentioned earlier something that the Leafs are lacking in. They are lacking right-handed shots on the blue line. Uh, but Lilligren is arguably their promising prospect in that regard. Um, and this year, as you mentioned, Brett, a tremendous year for him in the AHL with 30 points uh, in 40 games. He had some moments uh, in Europe as well. And I believe he was even projected to be as high as a top three pick uh, when they were starting to talk about the 2017 class. Um, but like you said, injuries slowed him down and uh, his draft stock fell a little bit. And I I can't remember if he played in the World Juniors, but probably that showing at the World Juniors, whether it existed or not, if it did, maybe it wasn't great. Um, but I think the World Juniors probably factored into that as well. Um, I, oh, overall, I like what he brings. I, I like his, his upside. A very skilled defenseman that's very good in terms of skating. The way he combines his speed with his puck handling skills makes him very tough to defend and just amazing to watch. Um, at times, um, this was around the time uh, he was drafted in 2017. Um, his lead prospects profile says decision making skills at times were questionable. Um, I feel like that's with a lot of hockey players, you know, it, it, as you grow as a hockey player. You see the game a bit differently, but if you continue to improve on those skills that make you great and you improve upon your weaknesses and those weaknesses don't become as much of a liability, um, it's only going to get better for you as a hockey player. So um, I, I think the learning hasn't stopped for Lilligren. There's still going to be chances for him to learn. There's going to be some hard lessons to learn. But I think over the next couple of years, he's going to be a reliable piece of their blue line. And he's going to have to be because um, of their need of right-handed defense. Right. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, I guess this this is our third defenseman we're going to talk about here. Um, they have a lot of good defensive prospects. Yeah. But this one in particular, because this one, uh, this is Miko Lettinen, who we're talking about. This was a guy who they just signed uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, and there was kind of like a contest or a sweepstakes to see who would be able to get this guy um, because he uh, so um, and uh, the Maple Leafs won the sweepstakes in that regard. Um, he, um, I guess there was like rumors that the Devils were interested. I think there was another team that Montreal. could have used some. Montreal was another one, yeah. Um, I believe like the Flames, maybe, or I may, I may have gotten that wrong. But um, anyways, they uh, in the KHL this past year, he had uh, 49 points in 60 games for Jokerit. Um, and then the year before that, he played for at the in the Swedish Hockey League, where he had 24 points in 52 games. Uh, then the year before that, he played in La Liga, where he had 29 points in 55 games. Um, the year before that, he continued, he played for the Liga again. Uh, he played uh, 25 games, uh, 25 points in 43 games. So it seems like this is. Uh, the NHL is going to be his fourth professional hockey league, um, which is kind of interesting. And he is a 26 year old, um, but I imagine he'll be pretty good. Uh, he is signed for one more year, so I think that what I imagine they would do is they're gonna skip him going to the Marlies overall and just put him into the NHL right away. Um, because he's going to be a UFA the next year. It wouldn't make sense to just keep him in the minors for the full year. Um, although I guess maybe they'll put him into the Marlies just for him to get red set and stuff, but um, I'd imagine we'll, um, just considering that he's on a one-year deal, I would imagine he would be sent up there. Uh, pretty soon, and maybe if, if we have a playoffs, maybe we'll see him in the playoffs too. Um, but the thing that's interesting with him, and I've just been noticing this, and I wouldn't have noticed this otherwise, but Lebanon is a left-handed defenseman, um, and uh, again, Morgan Riley, Tyson, uh, not Tyson Berry, Rasmus Sandin, and Jake Muzzin are all left-handed defensemen, so that could become an issue. Um, in the long term, if he if he continues to be on the Maple Leafs, but um, yeah, it's definitely uh, he definitely could be exciting. He kind of has the he's taking the Artemi Panarin route where he uh, plays in international leagues, um, and then uh, he gets his chance when he's a little bit older than the rest of them, and um, it could it could work out for him um, in the long run. Yeah, so a big shout-out uh, to a bigger Leafs fan than I will ever be, uh, Steve Dangle. Um, <laughs> uh, he's part think? of the reason how I got the 4-on-1 on how good this Miko Lettning character is. Um, so he put out a YouTube video a couple of weeks ago when the signing took place. Uh, so if you want a further analysis of Miko Lettning, uh, feel free to check that out on his uh, YouTube channel, Steve Dangle. Um as you mentioned, Montreal, New Jersey in the running. The Leafs weren't in the running for this guy until the moment they signed him. So they just basically snagged him when nobody was looking. Um, so that and the fact that he's a left-handed defenseman, an uh, area where they have abundance of wealth already. Um, had even more of a head scratcher then. Uh, 
should mention no Schedule A bonuses, no Schedule B bonuses. It's a one-year entry level to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If he doesn't make the team, he goes uh, to the Marlies to play out the rest of the year. Uh, like you said, pending UFA, he turns 27 in January of 2021. Um, it won't take that much to develop this guy because, like you said, playing in a men's league for a couple of years in Liga – and then the KHL, he had 49 points in 60 games. Uh, 17 of those 49 points were goals. The other 32 were assists. He also got 184 shots in those 60 games, averaging 3.07 shots per game. And he also averaged 22.37 per game during the regular season. Um, certainly uh, one of the league's leaders. I think he was top 10 in that regard. And just two minutes and 15 seconds behind the leader, which is, you guessed it, Slava Volkov. Forgettable name in the yeah. NHL for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot to like about him. Um, he can log a ton of minutes. He can put up a lot of points. The key thing to note about uh, Miko Lettinen is... In one of his seasons in Europe, he played the entire season on the right-hand side. So, switching to right-handed defenseman, not that big of an adjustment for him. He's fine with left-handed or right-handed defense. Doesn't really care. Doesn't matter to him. But Travis Dermott, that being said, left-handed shot that also plays on the right-D side. So, uh, he has a bit of competition there even still. Uh, 11 of his 17 goals on the power play. A lot of his damage done on the power play. The Leafs have a very good power play, but they have so many good players, so he's probably not going to be the primary option on the power play. So what's he going to do if he doesn't have all that power play time? That's another question mark for this guy. Um, but there are a lot of people reassuring hockey fans in Toronto, hey, we like what we see. One of them is a former NHLer named Yuri Lettinen. Plenty of good things to say about Lettinen. He called him one of the best defenders in Europe. Uh, says any team need to move the puck and jump into the play as well as he can. Um, so it'll be an interesting experiment. I think the potential is there. At the end of the day, though, as Steve Dangle said, having good players is good. And the Leafs have a lot of good players. Right. So. I don't think Leafs fans are too upset about where he's going to play. It's not like they are upset that they didn't land this guy. They they got this guy. They got him signed to a contract. They have a lot of different weapons at their disposal. And if one can't produce, there are two or three or four other guys that probably can. Right. Yeah, and I guess it's worth the risk, too, because you never really know, and and like we mentioned before, like the the biggest weakness for the the Maple Leafs is their defensive uh, is their defensive size and stuff. So um, yeah, the idea that he can be um, like it, it's worth taking a shot on this guy in case he is he does become something. Um, and yeah, I don't know how good he will be in the long run, but. The idea that he excelled in the KHL, the Liga, and the SHL, um, it, it kind of like shows that he could be pretty good in the NHL as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, our next guy here, which is Nicholas Robertson. 
And speaking of Steve Jangle, that's kind of been a meme for him because, yep. uh, the, like I think last year he uh, he mistook uh, Nicholas Robertson as a uh, defenseman, um, and it, it turned out that he was actually a forward. Uh, so everyone in the comments of his video that when he was talking about the Leafs prospects, he would <laughs> like they would all mention like. Uh, Robertson's a, f uh, a forward or a winger so uh, and then that just became a thing um, so yeah the uh, so Nicholas Robertson he was a 2019 draft pick uh, second round pick for them uh, this past year though was when he really blew off uh, where he had 86 points in 46 games for the Peterborough Peets um, in the OHL, um, he also had five points in five games for Team America or Team USA. Um, I, oh, I thought I thought the Robertsons were Canadian. I guess they weren't. Wow. No, both are both are American. Jason yeah. Robertson, the Stars prospect, yeah. we also talked about as his brother. Yeah. I, okay. I thought I thought they were uh, Canadian. I guess nope. they're American. Nope. They're they're All on right. uh, they're on Team Brett this time. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Team Team America. Um, anyways, they uh, uh, yeah, and he had uh, uh, then the year before that he had fifty five points in fifty four games, so that's not bad. Um, and yeah, he uh, it looks like. Uh, and then I looked at the Toronto Maple Leafs and how the, their prospect stuff, and he had the most points of any Leafs prospects out there, so that. That stands for something by far. Um, the next closest one is Mikhail Abramov, who has 76 points um, in 63 games in the queue. But um, yeah, so uh, as, as you mentioned, he's, his brother is Jason Robinson, who we talked about for Dallas. Um, he's pretty good too. But um, yeah, I think uh, the, the interesting thing with wingers prospects for the Maple Leafs is that on the right-hand side, they're pretty much set um, with Nylander and Marner. Um, and on center, they're pretty much set with Matthews and Tavares. Um, but their left-handed side could could have some work to be done. You have Zach Hyman um, and Kasperi Kapanen. Kapanen's not bad, of course, and Hyman has his moments, of course, as well. But um, they could... I could, and uh, Nicholas Robertson just so happens to play left wing as well as center. So um, I think there is definitely a place for uh, Robertson to play on the left-hand side of things um, when all is said and done or uh, in a couple of years down the line. Um, but... Uh, for the moment, I think they could just wait it out and like see how he does in the AHL, which is what I imagine they'll do, um, and um, and then and then move him up. But uh, yeah, it seems like he could be a good player, and um, I think this is probably what the Leafs will have to do as long as they have Matthews and um, Tavares and Marner for this long-term contracts is that they're going to have to rely on their drafting skills and take these guys in the second, third, and fourth rounds. Um, or even, like, the 
uh, guys from Europe like they did with Mikko Lettinen just so that they can afford the entry-level contract-type players, and uh, this appears to be one of them, and he could be pretty good. Yeah. Um, first off, I will say I like what Zach Hyman brings. Top six upside, but also plays with a bit of an edge. Um, definitely someone, whether it's first line, second line, third line, you need him in your top nine. Um, I think he's going to be around for a while. I like what Andreas Janssen brings to the table as well. At worst, a very good left winger on line three at best, top six potential. Uh, speed, skill, and finish is the mantra for Kasper and Kapanen, but there have been some incidents, uh, whether it's late to a team meeting or some plays on the mm-hmm. ice where he could have been better this year. And even before then, I think he was on the trading block too, or at least tossed around the rumor mill in Leafland. So um, I, I wonder if his future is in jeopardy. And you also have guys like Engvall and Clifford, um, you know, that could provide depth on the third or fourth lines too. But I think Nick Robertson is that prototypical pure goal scorer that piles on the shots and gets a ton of goals and scores with efficiency that the Leafs really, really need. If you take a look at his rookie year, that rookie year, um, the Peterborough Peets had uh, just gone on a run to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before. They lost to Mississauga in the Conference Finals, four straight, I believe, and they had uh, a lot of good talents. And in 2017-18, they had this 30-goal scorer named Pavel Gogolov, who was later traded to Guelph in the Ryan Merkley trade, if I remember correctly. Um, they also had Simeon Jargic-Insev, who's also a Leafs prospect, more of a playmaker himself. And they had a decent tandem of Dylan Wells and a rookie named Hunter Jones, who is now a Minnesota Wild prospect. And it didn't come together for the Peets in Robertson's rookie season. They missed the playoffs altogether, but he led all Peets rookies in points and also ranked seventh on the entire roster with 15 goals and 18 assists. Uh, also had 11 power play points, so already was starting to come into form as a rookie. And then we get to his 55 points in 54 games where he scored 27 goals, averaged 3.43 shots per game, 19 power play points, 8 power play goals. Uh, Peterborough did make it to the playoffs that year, didn't last all that long, but he did play well individually in the playoffs, registering a goal on 16 shots in uh, five games, I think they lost in Oshawa. Uh, they lost to Oshawa in the first round that year. Um, and then you get to this year, where if he was a defenseman, someone would offer him ten million right off the bat, because he got fifty-five goals and thirty-one assists for a total of eighty-six points. He had two hundred and fifty-five shots, a whopping twenty-one point six shooting percentage. You don't see that too often. For 50 goal scores, a shooting percentage of 21.6, an average of 5.54 shots per game, Brett. That's almost wow. exactly, no, it's actually over two shots per game increase compared to his second year. He had 13 goals and 15 assists on the power play. He had 10 game winners and just for the heck of it, led all OHL players with eight shorthanded goals. Uh-huh. And he did that in 46 games. Like, I can't even make this stuff up. He did all of that, record over 250 shots, record 55-plus goals, 80-plus points, power play machine, five shots per game, plus, 
and he did that in 46 games as the third-year player. And he won a lot of accolades. He led the league in goals. Uh, he had a goals per game average of 1.2. I believe that's um, – I think that's actually the highest – I'm just taking a look here. Yeah, his goals per game pace is the highest recorded by a player under 19 in the OHL since 1980-81. And from January 9th to February 8th, he scored a goal in 14 straight games and had an insane amount of multi-goal games too. So uh, it was just an incredible year by Nick Robertson, someone that the Leafs are definitely going to use on their top line someday. And I definitely think he'll spend some time in the NHL first for a year or two, but there's no reason to doubt this kid if he can play on the top line. I definitely think he can. Yeah, um, he yeah he'll be he'll be a good player for them. And and again, like we mentioned with the the Maple Leafs, um, they are you know they're going to be um, you know. <laughs> they're a good team and they have good forwards. So if you're playing with any of those elite players, your the odds are is you're you're also going to be pretty good too. I will also mention before we go on to our final play, yeah. they have a lot of offensive prospects that we didn't talk about, particularly in the faceoff dot. Matthews and Marner are their top two guys, or sorry, no, Matthews and Tavares are their top two guys. Yeah. On. Marner plays on the right wing. Um, there are a lot of good center prospects they have. There's Simeon Jurgenev. There's Jeremy Bracco, which um, maybe in the future, maybe they include him in a package to get something they need later. Uh, there's also this guy named Adam Brooks, who had a pair of 80-plus assist seasons in the WHL. He had... In his third year, I think he had 120 points. And then in his fourth year in the WHL, he had 130. The year before that, he had 30-plus goals and 60-plus points. Uh, That was the second year. Um, I think he could be one of those guys they moved to the wing. But uh, he's another guy to keep track of in the AHL. He's had some good numbers uh, with the Marlies, too. Um, And he had three assists in seven games with the Leafs this year, as a matter of fact. So watch out for Adam Brooks, too. Yeah, um, and also Nicholas Abrusi, um, he he did really well in college as well. So that's another guy. Uh, okay, like I said, they have no shortage of good players, and that's very good. Yeah, um, which is interesting too, because like you know St. Louis and Tampa, um, they're they're a very good team, but obviously and Toronto's um, also a good team, of course. Uh, but it's um, and, and they've, they've also been willing to take on guys on AHL yeah. deals like they got Jeremy McKenna, one of the QMJHL's top shooters. Yeah, like the guy can rack up 300 shots in a season. And on the back end, they signed a 67 defenseman named Cole Hoffemeyer. He had 60 plus points in 2018 19, led the OHL with in points with 82 this year, and he, he's on an AHL deal too. So yeah. And taking guys on AHL contracts if they think they're good enough. Yeah, and I, I, but my point was is that like because the Lightning and the Maple Leafs and the Blues in particular, I mean, I'm including them because these are the three teams we're talking about today. But yeah. they're all, they are, they're all pretty good, which means they'll all have low draft picks. Um, yeah. Uh, eventually, and it seems like 
like, you know, of course, you know, Beret Boulay and Perunovic and uh, Clem Costin are all pretty good players, but it seems like Toronto ha- has a knack for finding some um, good players in, uh, in later rounds um, that I don't know necessarily the Blues and the Lightning necessarily have, but... Um, I, I do I do think that the the Maple Leafs have done a great job in in their scouting, um, in finding these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, we're gonna talk about Ian Scott. Um, I guess it's time to address the goaltending situation. Uh, Frederick Anderson is a UFA in two years, um, in 2021, 2022. Um, he's making five million right now, but I'd imagine he'll be worth a lot more than that um, in the long run. Um, and, of course, that's going to be tough for the Maple Leafs to keep around because of Matthews, Tavares, Marner, um, and their long, and their high percentage and long-term contracts. So um, so there, there is uh, something to be said about that. Also, like, I mean, of course, Frederick Anderson um, is a great goaltender. Um, he saves a ton of, uh, ton of goals or he makes a lot of saves. Uh, but, um, there is definitely an issue of like him being fatigued for the last couple of years and could explain why the, why they always go out in the first round, um, because of their tiring Frederick Anderson out. Um, it seemed like, uh, they did get Jack Campbell in the mix, um, from a trade and it seemed like Jack Campbell was working. Um, so he could be a good option for them for sure. But, um, who knows how consistent Jack Campbell can be in the long run. Um, however, having said all that stuff, um, they do have Ian Scott in the, in the program here. Um, he, uh, before I get into his uh, season-long injury, I will talk about um, the fact that uh, uh, his stats that he had the year before that, where he had, um, in 49 games for Prince Albert Raiders, he had a GAA of 1.83 and a save percentage of 932. Um, the year before that, he uh, in 50 games, he had a GAA of 3.1 and a save percentage of not 897. So um, it seems like the 2018-2019 season was his best season by far, um, which was a big reason why he was the fourth-round pick in 2017 for the Maple Leafs. Um, yeah, so the, then it, it turns out that after that great year, we wanted to see how consistent he could be in the long run. It uh, turns out that he had this hip surgery, um, and, uh, it's keeping him out for, for a long term. Um, and this is, uh, kind of interesting, uh, considering that he, um, you know, he was so good, uh, for the Prince Albert Raiders and, um, with a surgery like that, a major surgery like that, you don't know, um, how much that's going to affect him, but it's definitely going to affect him long term. Um, the, the Maple Leafs do have Joseph Wall, um, in their system, who was their, the goalie for the Marlies this year. 
Um, and he played he played okay. Um, he had an 880 save percentage and a GAA of 3.75 for the Marlies. But all the goalies um, in the system, Kashmir, uh, Casasuo, and Zachary Boothelier, uh, they all have uh, not great numbers. Uh, so, um, so I I would imagine that Ian Scott could could be like the starting goaltender for the Marlies, assuming he recovers from the surgery, um, which I guess is also good news for um, this long wait uh, now, where the season will likely be started in December, because then he can you know. He can, uh, it gives him a lot more time to, to rest and, and get better. Um, but there is definitely an injury concern with him in that regard. Yeah, uh, you're, you're not wrong that it's been a rough season to be a Toronto Marley's goaltender. Yeah. Um, those are Billy Huso numbers that uh, just yep. up and not the good kind of numbers either. Um, right. Yeah, definitely a season of adjustment. Um, and, Joseph Wall's defense, um, he posted fantastic numbers with Boston College. And as a first-year player, as a sophomore, as a, a junior player, even on even, – even, I think, his, junior, his uh, third and final year at Boston College, he didn't even have a 500 record, and his GA was still good, and his state percentage was so good. Um, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't come together with Toronto – but you look at San Jose with Andrew Shortridge, one of the best goalies when he was in the NCAA, and this year just not great at all with the Barracuda. So um, sometimes, it, it like like we said before, it, it takes time for a prospect to get it together, and it might take a year or two for them to get acquainted um, at the highest level. So. You, you give Joseph Ball the benefit of the doubt there, and you give Ian Scott the benefit of the doubt because prior to that amazing season, his numbers were far from extraordinary. Um, as a rookie, he went 13-9-2, but his GAA was 3.34. His save percentage was 8.92. Um, his draft year, he had a 12-31-3 record with the Raiders in 50 games, but he was averaging 31.1 shots per game and still posted an 895 save percentage, but he just wasn't on a good team. And the Leafs thought, okay, well, given the circumstances, this guy did the best he could. He's worth a gamble in the fourth round. Let's take him. So they took him, and the next year, he played the same amount of games. His numbers improved a little bit. He had an 897 save percentage. The GAA went down from 3.69 to 3.1, and he won 24-16-6 with the Raiders. That led to his monster season in 2018-19, where he had 38 wins, I believe. The only guy that had more was Dustin Wolf, a Calgary Flames prospect. Um, and he won a WHL championship with the Raiders that year, went to the Memorial Cup, and did pretty well with the Raiders, even though they lost all three games. He still did pretty well against the best competition. So... I like what this guy provides. You're right. The hip surgery is something to monitor for sure as a goalie. Um, but given how he performed in his final WHL season, 
the Leafs are hoping this guy pans out because they, like Tampa Bay, need a respectable tandem that can be relied on in any situation. And that is something that was affecting Tampa Bay to an extent, but definitely Toronto was affecting to an extent. Like, they were using Freddie Anderson way too much. And it's not because they had a choice. Like, Garrett Sparks was one of the best goalies in the AHL when the Marlies won the Calder Cup, and he quickly went to getting traded to Vegas in the offseason in exchange for David Clarkson's bad contract. Like... It just hasn't worked out well for least and backup goalies. So they got to hope that Jack Campbell or one of the young goalie prospects sticks because um, they're going to need someone capable of carrying the load behind Frederick Anderson, whether it's as Frederick Anderson's backup or as Frederick Anderson's successor. Um, because, again, like you said, with their cap situation committed to the three guys who just mentioned and maybe William Nealander, let's throw him in and maybe Morgan Riley too. Um, there are going to be a lot of areas uh, in their lineup that are going to be ever changing every year because they have to keep paying their core pieces a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly definitely an issue. And I think Jack Campbell's been decent um, so far. So he could be the option for them in the long run, but um, yeah, at the it, at the moment, it's just um, it's uh, it's kind of a tricky situation because it's not like any of these goaltenders are inspiring any hope, and um, and I don't know if they'll if the Maple Leafs will necessarily be able to keep Frederick Anderson to the amount of money that he wants or deserves. So, right. um, that's really the bigger, um, issue that they, I mean, yeah, they don't really have to worry about it this off season, but maybe next season, well, actually, I guess they do have to worry about it next season because, uh, this is his last year, but, um, but yeah, it's something definitely to consider for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. That about does it for us. Uh, this has run long for us. It's two hours and 42 minutes, but, um, the good thing about this is that you guys have plenty of time on your hands, so um, hope you hope this was fun for you guys. Um, yeah, and also the good news is that this is the last episode where we were covering three teams, um, as right. opposed to where we're gonna do the V teams next week, and then or the W teams next week, and then the oh no V teams next week, and then the W teams the week after. Um, yeah. and then that's it. So, um, that's, that's definitely exciting. Um, for sure. Um, our Twitter is lace them up our Facebook or sorry, lace up podcast. Our Facebook is lace them up and, uh, yeah, that about, oh, and you can catch us on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else that you get your podcast. Uh, I'm Brett Duboff. Talking again, episode 221 of the Lace Them Up podcast.